You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 584. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 6th of September, 2023. In today's episode, away again in the aviation world mourns the loss of amateur pilot and legendary singer-songwriter Jimmy Buffett. A $4 million fine for American Airlines for trapping passengers on sitting planes for hours. More news and your feedback, so get all settled in. Trade tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 584 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. And he's also here in our live audience today. Welcome, Roger. Uh, welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, pilot at a major legacy airline based somewhere in the United States. And joining us from her lakeside studio in Kagalecki, She's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is such a pleasure to be back with you all today. Sorry, I think I missed the last episode. Maybe the one before that? Not sure. I can't I keep know. up anymore, but everyone's here today. Almost everyone's here today. We almost took you so. off the crew list. So. Oh, man. I was lucky you came back today because it was okay. getting close. It was like probation. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, so nice to see you and uh, can't wait to start this show. But before we do, let's introduce... From his home studio in the Valley of the Sun, world traveler, airplane mechanic, dog, rescue volunteer, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. I was certainly almost taken off the uh, the crew list here, but I'm certainly happy to be back, see almost everybody here, and that's uh, going to be a good one. Yes. Well, just by the hair of your chinny chin chin. All right. And great to have you with us, Rick. And also joining us from his studio. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff, and hi, everybody. Who are these strangers? I'm just like a bad smell. I'm always hanging around. Uh, but in a few days, it's going to be very special for me. I'm having a Soissons myth. Uh, oh, okay. Not sure what that is. And uh, also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. It's great to have so many people on the show today. It's weird. She had a beard. 
and it felt weird. Who are they, Liz? <laughs> I don't know, but they're here. <laughs> it's like we'll I'm take... nervous. I'm not used to do all pushing all I these know. buttons. Buttons. What was it we were going to add to your description, your intro, uh, Liz? Oh, for... biblical scholar. Yes. Biblical scholar. Biblical scholar. Darn it, I should have written that down. <laughs> it's a long Ooh. story. Yeah, it's a long story. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, everybody. I don't, I don't doubt it. Show. I don't doubt it. Okay, we'll, we'll hear you on uh, the comms. And uh, without Here further ado, um, let's go ahead and talk about some aviation news. Stand by for news. As the APG announcer mentioned in his intro today, uh, first item in our news, musician and pilot Jimmy Buffett flies west. And uh, this article is from Flying Magazine. Uh, appropriately, the lifestyle icon uh, Jimmy Buffett built the Margaritaville brand and owned several aircraft he piloted over his career. Uh, he was especially fond, especially fond of um, seaplanes, and uh, which is really super cool and makes sense when you, if you know anything at all about Jimmy Buffett and his music. Uh, most of the world who sang along with him at concerts knew Jimmy Buffett as a sailor, but those who uh, fly knew him as a fellow pilot who loved the sky almost as much as he loved his mother ocean. James William Buffett died on the evening of September first, surrounded by family, friends, music, and dogs according to a statement released on social media on Saturday. He left behind his wife, Jane, two daughters, and one son, and a comprehensive catalog of songs, books, and businesses businesses that embody the Margaritaville lifestyle captured by his most famous record of that title. He was born on Christmas Day, 1946. And after fits and starts that included an initial failure to break into Nashville's music industry, he found his way to the Florida Keys and a lifestyle that would inspire his, oh, I should have gone over, is it Auvers? Is that how you pronounce that? Auvers? Ouvre? Ouvre. Ouvre. What does that mean? His, his genre, like his, his style. Like his genre, his style? Well, then why didn't they use that word? Okay. Well, it doesn't doesn't sound as sophisticated. It doesn't. It, it makes me sound stupid. And I think you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, Liz, did you switch it out and put that word in there just to make me stumble? <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, I bet she did. Anyway, that's what I get for not reading it before I did the show. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Jimmy Buffett's um, music is uh, kind of uh, special to me. Uh, because uh, he, um, I think that he started his life in uh, like on the Florida Gulf Coast, but then the, his family moved to, it says Mobile, but out a little outside of Mobile and uh, is it like Chickasaw or one of the, it's, a, it's another little city like in the outskirts of uh, Mobile. And uh, so he's kind of in that area where I spent a lot of my formative years uh, down in the, uh, on the Gulf Coast. And uh, honestly, I didn't really like his music until I went off to uh, college. I was at Auburn University and all my roommates were parrot heads and they played his music nonstop. And at first I just wanted to, gave me a headache and wanted, made me want to throw up. And then <laughs> after a while, 
The more I That's listened nice to it, tribute, I thought, Jeff. well, oh, thank you. It is a nice tribute. I thought your music was garbage. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, one of but that was before I finally realized the genius of his music. And oh, okay. I was listening to it and I thought, oh, you know what? Back this is pretty good. And I, I became, I love Jimmy Buffett. I, I think his music is awesome. So, you know, I, I went from the wrong place to the right place. And, uh, it's, you know, he was a young man, only 76 years old when he, uh, passed away. Uh, and, and, uh, we're going to miss him a lot of, I mean, he had a, he had a quite, uh, quite a following of parrot heads out there. That's what they call the people that love Jimmy Buffett and his music. And, um, I know I've been to a couple of his concerts and I know that, uh, Steph has as well. Um, and, uh, are you a parrot head, uh, Rick? Most definitely not. Okay. He does not <laughs> like Jimmy Buffett. So he kind of, uh, he kind of identified with my initial reaction to his music. <laughs> I was, I was right. I was right there with you, Jeff, until you changed your tune. <laughs> oh, sorry. So I'll just, I'll Pun intended. Just... <laughs> okay. Yes, Steph. I grew up with a, a parent who uh, was a huge fan of Jimmy Buffett music, and we, um, uh, growing up in Utah, when we would go skiing on the weekends, uh, my dad thought it was great to play Jimmy Buffett on the way to and from the ski resort um, because it definitely was not doing anything on the beach, so that seemed appropriate. Um, but he, this was back in the uh, the 90s where we had cassette players in the car and we only had one Jimmy Buffett cassette, so it was the same live album. Which one? Oh, every live? Sing- okay. Uh, feeding Frenzy, actually. Ah, okay. Um, to this day, I know all the words of all of those songs on that album. Um, yeah. And yes, we've been to a few live shows. I, the genius of Jimmy Buffett was in his live shows. Um, you know, everyone was there just for the the party and the good time. So. Yeah. In and, fact, um, you know, if you read further in this article, it talks yes. about him owning a lot of different types of aircraft. Um, supposedly, allegedly, um, there's a Cessna caravan out there that used to belong to him that I have flown. Oh, so, ooh, very nice. That it was owned Yeah, when he toured, I guess he was touring in a Dassault uh, Falcon 50 and later a Falcon 900. And he's mm-hmm. type rated, or he was type rated in both aircraft. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, he he's had a whole bunch of different airplanes. Um, a lot of amphibs, Grumman Albatross. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good looking airplane. Cool, cool stuff. Oh man, it's an awesome airplane. And Liz is going to show us that in the, uh, in the, uh, video here in a beautiful airplane. I yeah. agree with you, Micah. Absolutely. Um, what is, what does he say? Cause for the people that can't read that. It says here, uh, so, uh, he says that, uh, I agree with you, Rick. I never liked his music and he didn't write uh, music, uh, musical perspective wise, I guess he says that uh, he only wrote it as jingles as a businessman, and uh, and uh, I wow, I agree that's kind of harsh. <laughs> well, I mean, well, this, this is going to make it into the Jimmy this, Buffett. I'm tribute. going to have to cut out this whole darn first article. I guess. <laughs> darn it! You didn't know there were so many. Uh, I know so many haters. Jimmy Buffett. All right. Well, I mean, I, I I like the I like the airplane aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, but uh, well, but screw, now he's screw having a cheeseburger in paradise, like and uh, <laughs> and uh, good for him. I don't know. He owned he owned cool airplanes, so. and what? Uh, Although. Mm. <laughs> I, okay. I can't read. Captain yeah, we can't Nick's read that comment, comment from some idiot uh, named Captain no. Nick in our live audience. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, I think well, it's shall best. we move on to the yeah, next I think article? We really Rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. Let's uh, yeah. move on to something more positive. Uh, oh, yeah. And there really is nothing in here that's really more no, positive, but we're going to try. Uh, <laughs> next item here, American Airlines has been slapped with, oh, I should have got a, gotten a slap sound effect. <laughs> Whap. Um, with four point, a $4 million fine for trapping 4. hundreds. He, they trapped hundreds of passengers on board an airplane. Oh, no. Yeah, Before they must the have tragedy. like, uh, how yeah. did they do that? Um, they closed the doors. Uh, and they locked no, it, apparently. Yeah. I, can, I can tell you how it happens in Charlotte. <laughs> oh, has it happened yeah. to you, Steph? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. So anyway, uh, on board heavily delayed airplanes for hours at a time and not giving them the opportunity to, to deplane. To deplane. The civil penalty is the largest ever fine of its kind levied by the Department of Transportation Ooh. after the agency ruled that AA had unlawfully kept hundreds of passengers on 43 effective flights on board and against their will. <sighs> U.S. law requires airlines to have contingency plans in place for lengthy tarmac delays. Uh, yeah. Uh, and in most cases, airlines are required to allow passengers the opportunity to deplane once the delay has hit a certain length. In the case of domestic flights, passenger must be given the opportunity to deplane after a tarmac delay of three hours or more. For international flights, a tarmac delay of four hours should trigger the opportunity for passengers to deplane. The only exception uh, to this rule is if the airline can prove that allowing passenger, passengers to deplane would jeopardize safety or security, or if air traffic control tells the pilot that deplaning passengers would significant, significantly disrupt airport operations. In the 43 cases. Yeah, my question here was going to be if I'm, I'm sorry, quick, quick thing, because I haven't yeah. flown passengers in a long time. My, my question here is going to be if um, so, you know how um, jet bridge slots are so, I guess, just, just so complicated during peak hours to get a slot in a jet bridge. And if you push back and there's no, no there's no room for you, then what do you do then? I mean, it's if you're yeah. getting close to the three hours in a domestic flight. What do you just air stare? So I was alluding to you push or? back and can't leave for some reason. And then one thing leads to another and you're trying to get back mm -hmm. and there's no gates. And then there, the ramp like, is closed because there's a thunderstorm and lightning. I, exactly. So you know, I mean, I, at some point, it happens I mean, sometimes. it's, 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 yeah. Yeah. it's just, just, so yeah. I, I guess that that would be uh, uh, some examples of some of the exceptions that could be applied. Um, but they have to be convincing uh, to the uh, DOT, apparently. Uh, as a result of, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry, we're laughing at a, 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 um, a, somebody making a, a show title show suggestion. <laughs> um, let's move on. Uh, as a result... Federal officials ruled that AA should have followed passengers, no, allowed passengers the opportunity to deplane, and in some cases also have provided them with snacks and water. Yeah, this is all stuff that we all, I thought, knew are the rules. Uh, anyway, most of uh, the delays were caused by severe weather, especially severe thunderstorms at American Airlines main hub in Dallas-Fort Worth, and the airline told investigators that it had devoted considerable resources to reducing tarmac delays in recent years. Uh, American disputed whether a January 13, 2019 flight should have been subject to enforcement action because it was trapped on a snow-covered taxiway at Washington Reagan Airport during a severe winter storm. Uh, the DOT wasn't persuaded by American's defense, but the agency credited the airline $2.05 million for compensation uh, had already um, paid, uh, already voluntarily paid out, voluntarily paid out. 
the DOT wasn't persuaded by Americans' defense, but the agency credited the airline $2.05 million for compensation that American had already voluntarily paid out to passengers who had been trapped on the affected flights. Um, anyway, let's see. Uh, what did airline, American Airlines have to say in their defense? Uh, oh, apparently they did no not comment. reply. Yeah, no comment. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, I guess, over how long of a period uh, was this, they said? 2018 to 2021. Oh, okay. That's... Well, why is this yeah, now just... Because <laughs> that's how long a, it takes for this, anything of bureaucratic nature you to... you got to give uh, us news that's a little bit more up to date. <laughs> okay. In other news, the Wright brothers have flown for the first time. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that was from Paddle Your Own Canoe. I should mention that. All right. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, I think that's all, all we really can say about that. Um, the Aviation Herald uh, is the source for this next news item. Uh, a Delta Ooh, Airlines good. Airbus A350-900 registration November 576 Delta Zulu, or Z for those of you. Uh, well, no, it'd still be Zulu in the phonetic. Performing flight 175 from Milan Malapensa in Italy to Atlanta, GA, Georgia, with 151 passengers and 14 crew, was descending towards Atlanta when the aircraft encountered severe turbulence, causing a number of injuries. The aircraft continued for a safe landing on Atlanta's runway 8 left. Uh, 11 people were taken to the hospital. The airline reported the aircraft experienced severe turbulence just before landing, before a safe landing in Atlanta, and there were 11 injuries. Okay, we just talked about that. Uh, the FAA reported probably the same thing. Yep, sure enough, it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, let's see, METARs at the time at the airport. This did not happen at the airport, by the way. This happened about this probably 40. happened over Charlotte. Yeah, it was uh, kind of between the Charlotte area. Yeah, because of all the hot air from uh, the population in Charlotte. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of hot air turbulence over Charlotte. No, what I can tell you was there was a very, very low pressure system in the area uh, just to the south of the track of the flight coming in. Uh, And it was up there to the northeast of Atlanta. And, oh, yeah, they actually named this low pressure system Hurricane Idaya. Idalia. I don't know if it was still a hurricane at that point, but it was still pretty a, a pretty strong tropical uh, uh, storm or tropical depression. I'm not sure what it was at that point, but um, that just goes. That had to me, in my opinion, uh, had to be what happened here. They uh, ended up uh, encountering the uh, severe turbulence um, due to the effect of the outer rings of the uh, of that How many storm. Of those passengers had their seatbelts on. I'd like to know that would be a good question. Now, it I'm sure be. that the... Uh, everyone, everyone except 11 of the mice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's your answer. <laughs> That's true. Oh, wait. That deserves the old bell here. So let me see if I can find it. All right. I can't find it. Why can't I not find it? Here it is. Um, so, um, yeah. I, and how many... Let's see. There are 14 crews. So I would think that there were probably like 10 or 11... Uh, flight attendants, I think, oh, let's see, uh, four cabin crew and eight passengers. So I, the, the four cabin crew, I would imagine, unless the captain had advised them to be seated, um, they were probably not seated with their seatbelts fastened. Um, but the eight passengers... No, they'll be clearing in, um, tidying up, getting everything ready for secure for landings. Yeah. They're running around yeah. like 
Like yeah. nobody's business usually. Well, see, here's the problem though. In this situation, I w- would likely have briefed that we're going to go ahead and make all the cabin preparations uh, early so that you Absolutely. guys can be seated before we started our descent. The problem here, though, and in, in, in my airline, there's a certain acronym for that procedure, although I've been using that same procedure ever since I've, you know, been a captain at uh, ACME. Uh, but um, the problem with it is that even when you tell the, pa- the uh, flight attendants to do the early uh, cleanup and take their seats, uh, they don't always do it as quickly as you think they're going, going to or or they don't really take it seriously. Well, they have to hand out those uh, those credit card applications. We're not going to hand themselves out. So. Oh, no. <laughs> that's what I, that I, so I made a comment about that just now. So, from, uh, the that just drives me nuts. Oh, that's that drives just what me Brad nuts. said. Yeah, yeah Brad. <laughs> yeah, they would be selling yeah. credit cards. Yep, that's that's sadly true. Um, but yeah. I, I, you know. Um, because I've seen it. I've heard the, the captain make the PA or the captain's representative make a PA. And they say, you know, we need you to take your seats immediately. And then I'm looking around and looking, you know, down the aisle and I can see they're still up and handing out coats and everything else. I'm thinking, did he not? You know, I, so what I will say to my lead flight attendant is, okay, I want you to, you know, you got 10 minutes. Take care of the cabin and be sitting. And, and when you are all seated with your seatbelts on, then call me and let me know. Because that just gives me peace of mind to know that I'm going to be feedback loop there. Yeah. Yeah. Rick doesn't have that problem. And then they realize that, Hey, we've got a time limit on this, you know, right. Not just eh, precautionary. Maybe it's important. Maybe it's not, or just lose track of time. You know, I I do have another, I do have something else to deal with though, as far as, uh, um, low pressure systems go. Um, the last, um, I mean, the, the, the South China sea and, uh, Japan, Korea, Hong Kong have been really, really active mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, couple of months. And uh, there is one thing that we really have to be careful over there because uh, uh, the fact that uh, their transition level and transition altitudes, which is the point at which you uh, uh, go from, I guess, local uh, barometric reference to standard barometric reference is lower than it is in the, in the States. So here in the States is uh, 18,000 feet. In other places, it's lower. I think Hong Kong is eleven thousand, and, and that depends on on what the barometric pressure is. Because if it's below a certain point, it's actually an, a, a different altitude versus if it's at a, a, a higher pressure. It's, well, it's, it's just a mess. And um, the problem with that is, is that if you if you switch your your from from Q and H to Q and E or Q and E to Q and H within two thousand feet of that transition level while using um, uh, vertical navigation profile on the airplane, um, you could very well be up to 200 feet off your cleared altitude. And so that you, so yeah, so you have to, there you go, Tanya. So you have to, you have to, so the procedure here is what we usually do is we will switch over. Well, yeah. Well, but I mean, but I, I hear everybody does this. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll switch from from Q and H to Q and E, or or the other way around. If my cleared level is within a thousand feet of transition, two thousand feet below, uh, two thousand feet prior to my cleared altitude, uh, so that I actually am on the on the uh, um, uh, cleared uh, cleared altitude or cleared level where I'm supposed to be at. And that's something that if you don't deal with flying uh, around and in low pressure systems. Um, you can completely overlook. Um, oh, there you go. 
<laughs> oh, come on. That wasn't that technical. That was just a little taste. It's been so long since we've heard it, so we any gotta... excerpts from the Wikipedia that we're just we're, we're just thrilled inside to hear it. And that's, we're just excited. I'm sorry. We shouldn't yeah. have done that. So, so for all, for all you have geeks out there, if you want to know the, what the actual uh, uh, barometric pressure that we have to take care, take into account when this, when this happens is uh, two, nine, seven, zero inches of mercury or one to zero, zero six hectopascal. So anything below that, you have to be careful and, uh, and, and um, switch from Q and E to Q and H or vice versa outside of 2000 feet from your cleared altitude. Otherwise you'll be at a mismatched altitude and vertical separation is not, uh, um, guaranteed. So. Ooh. And what does it have to do with the passengers not wearing seatbelts? Well, <laughs> low pressure systems. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Now I got the connection. My bad. I wasn't paying attention. Okay. Uh, great. Uh, well, thanks Rick. And uh, yes, has it been quite bumpy in those uh, low pressure systems over there in that part of the world? It has been, but you know what? I tell you, every time. So we were flying in from uh, what the hell were we flying in? From? Well, we were flying from from Delhi uh, to Hong Kong the other day with a phenomenal first officer, uh, um, John is his name. I'm not going to say his last, but John guy. He uh, he was a uh, a, um, a a captain with Virgin Australia on the triple seven. And he came over to uh, Acme Giant um, on uh, on a visa, Australian guy. So apparently, I didn't know this, but we do um, a uh, there's a reciprocity program between the Australians and us as far as uh, being able to work in each other's countries. So he came over with a ton of experience. Um, and uh, but anyway, flying Delhi to Hong Kong, and I've 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 spoken about this to Captain Nick at um, the controllers. Approach controllers in, in in the Hong Kong area are just it just blows my mind how good they are. I mean, they you don't even have to you don't even have to ask. It's like they know exactly what you need and where you need to go, and it and, and, and it helps them as well because um, they need to keep traffic flowing a certain way. And if they're not you know preemptively and proactively giving you the vectors required to get you around weather, then you're going to have traffic all over the place. So these guys and these gals know exactly where to send you, how to send uh, you know how far to send you off track, uh, what altitude to clear you at. So they're just great. They're just great. Yep, I have to concur. I always uh, loved uh, Hong Kong. It's just like going home. Uh, you know, you always feel comfortable with your own controllers. Uh, nice to get home. Hong Kong was one of those places where you always had great confidence in the controllers. Absolutely. All right. Very good. Anything else to add, Steph? Um, I got nothing. Okay. Got nothing. All right. Well, maybe you will. I'll, you will I, will, I will. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, let's continue then uh, with uh, this next item again from the Aviation Herald. Uh, a Nordwind. Airlines Airbus A321 200, registration Victor Quebec, Bravo Romeo Sierra. I almost failed. Performing positioning flight 1801 from Moscow's Sharon Tevievo. Oh, shoot, I should have that sound effect somewhere. No, I don't think I have it. Here, we'll just play this one. Which is not the same one. The other one. The other one. To Antalya, Turkey. Um, with seven crew, was on approach to, how do you say that? Antalya? Antalya. Antalya. I don't know. Come on. Somebody tell me. Uh, runway 36. Right, right? 
uh, at about uh, 7.40 local time, but touched down hard on the runway, about 2.65 G. That's how hard. Uh, Gee, yeah, that's a your, lot. There's your problem. <laughs> the crew initiated oh. a go around. Uh, the crew observed attitude and navigation indication problems were observed by the crew. Smoke developed in the cockpit. I mean, <laughs> wow. Navigation indication problems were observed by the crew. Smoke developed in the cockpit. The crew donned their oxygen masks, uh, declared Mayday, performed a low approach to runway 36 Center to have the underside of the aircraft, including landing gear, inspected for any structural in, uh, issues while climbing yeah, yeah, out. Yes, sir. I, 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 that part I don't understand. I mean, the gear is down and locked. The hell do you have to verify? I mean, you just landed 2.65 G's on the nose gear. It's down. Trust me. Yeah, but I'm wondering if they're they're probably going, well, I wonder if it's still there. Did we break it off? (laughs) It might not be there. (laughs) Jesus. And then uh, the flight attendant would say, oh, yes, uh, I've confirmed it's there. It's inside the the cabin. Um, (laughs) No, you think I'm joking. It really is. (laughs) so while climbing out, uh, both uh, main hydraulic systems failed. Hmm. Uh, the crew declared Mayday a second time. <laughs> if it wasn't bad enough the we, first time. We need more Mayday. We need a we double Mayday. mayday. Yeah. Uh, mayday performed a visual out. approach and landing on <laughs> runway 36 center. The aircraft was unable to vacate the runway. They stopped. The aircraft was shut down. Post-flight inspection showed both nose gear tires deflated. The nose gear strut had been pushed through the cabin floor. The fuselage, uh, all in the area of the nose gear, showed significant creases, lots of wrinkling. Uh, Russia's embassy uh, there in Turkey reported that there were no passengers on board the aircraft, only crew, according to the local office of Nordwind Airlines. The aircraft suffered a hard landing. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained damage, however. Wondering, does it say in here if it was some kind of a, like a training flight or something? Why was I don't it know, probably, probably a ferry flight, repositioning flight. Oh, it could have been a um, yeah. Um, did I maybe say that at the very beginning? Yeah. No, uh, no I don't think Posi- it says. Yeah, positioning so. flight. Oh, was oh, it? Okay. positioning okay. flight. Okay, so there you go. There's the answer. Um, okay, so discuss. Oh, I like this part that's highlighted, though. Um, at some unknown date, the investigating board silently, without any announcement or entry into updates list, released their interim report in Russian. Stating that <laughs> Simon so, loves this. Yeah, that's his favorite. So just know that Liz had wow. highlighted that. So that's all part so of it. So I'm I'm wondering here and, and just and you know, since everybody knows I haven't flown an Airbus, thank goodness. Uh but I know that I know that uh um the um there's on on I guess it's called ECAM over there, on the gear synoptic, the nose gear, you do have um PSI readouts on the tires, right? So if those are there, then of course the landing gear is going to be there because it doesn't mention that that one there. Uh, that's one thing. <laughs> I suspect they'd X'd out. By the- well, you know, well, yeah, but I mean, it's, uh, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, Monday morning quarterback in this thing at all. But if you had something as heavy as that happen, I think me, the last thing I want to do is, you know, uh, try and fly around, uh, not knowing what the condition of the aircraft is. And, uh, if you had a hit that hard, um, as we saw here in the article, uh, the loss of a, a hydraulic or multiple hydraulic systems is a clear possibility. And then how do you control the aircraft? If you lose all hydraulic power, I, I read here in the article that the, uh, the first officer manually trimmed, which is, 
which is is interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, the, but, the the controls had reverted to a, uh, uh, a backup. It went to no. It says it went to direct law, right? Yeah, and then um, and then the other thing I see here is that um, obviously very very light because of the V approach, 122 knots. So VREF 117 plus five is 122 knots for the V approach. So that tells me that's obviously a very very light aircraft. Um, and then the guy started getting. Uh, it says that he was. They called it a stabilized approach, but they're at a thousand feet above ground level. The airspeed was 145 indicated. Now, if your V approach is 122, and your indicated airspeed at a thousand feet is 145, that puts you what 23 knots. Uh, that put, no, 20, puts you 28 knots over your v Plus or minus 50 knots. That's exactly, right. So how is, how, is that, how is that, how is well, that stabilized? Different companies have different stabilized approach criteria. And the speed aspect is usually, you're usually given a margin. So you don't have to be back at VREF. Uh, oh yeah, but I mean, it, but if you if you if you look at the wind there, the wind. I mean, I understand that if you have if you have um, you know gusty conditions, you know it's it's, it's no, it's just have the headwind plus the, the full gust factor. Speed control, then you know you wouldn't necessarily if, if you're coming into an American airfield, God, it's 180 knots to five miles oh, yeah. or whatever. You're very lucky to get your speed back by a thousand feet to VREF. To so you're given a margin. Yeah. Error, you know, you know what I do? I, it's it's prevent, plus 10 minus 10, right? Plus 10 minus 10. Yeah, so, well, not every airline does that. No, some have a slightly larger. That's an FAA thing, I think. But uh, I don't know. Um, let's let the flight attendant land, according to uh, Brad, the Sultan of Wings, in the live audience. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. He made a, a horrendous mess up of the landing. What on earth he was doing yeah. going full forward stick? Uh, I have no idea uh, you, Not why you would over-control like that. Uh, that seems ridiculous. Um, interestingly, now the bit that I got is not that he mishandled the uh, aircraft dreadfully or that he did a fly around to see if he still had three uh, undercarriage legs. And I see your point, Jeff. One of them could have fallen off. You know, uh, you just wanted to see, mm -hmm. I guess, what the state kind of the gear was. to expect, was. right? Yeah. Um, was that they... There's an awful lot of doubt as to the uh, what happened to the um, data recorder. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the CVR and the data recorder, uh, they produced no recordings of the accident flight. And I was trying to make head and a tail of the investigation, but apparently they were shifting data recorders in and out of various countries and on and off the aircraft uh, until they got to the point where the ones they took off the aircraft had no data on it because they weren't actually on the aircraft when it appears to have had the incident. So I, I, that's kind of how I read it. I haven't. I was trying to make head or tail of that. That's why earlier. you release your final report only in Russian without any announcement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody will exactly. exactly. And uh, someone made the point that it's actually uh, you know you're forbidden for after an incident like this of touching. <laughs> any of the data recorders, certainly not removing them yeah. and certainly not making an attempt to read them. That That is down to the investigation to do that. So just to prevent this kind of uh, strange behavior and all of a sudden you haven't got any data from the flight. So I'm going In fact, to yeah, to that point, Captain Nick, in fact, uh, part of our uh, shutdown checklist includes uh, uh, 
the CVR um, uh, circuit breaker, whether to pull it or leave it pushed in. Gotcha. That's just part of that. Yeah, yeah not uh, something that we ever had on the Airbus or a procedure. We we didn't have that on the Airbus. But yeah, yeah. it's just very interesting that they uh, that they had this problem of getting data that wasn't any available. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Is yeah. Now, I was, I was the other thing that I mean on, on on the technical side of things, I was thinking about here the fact that uh, obviously ground speed mini would not have been an, a factor because the guy disconnected autopilot and auto thrust during the intercept. Uh, it'll still um, so indicate is that, the, uh, it, it'll the target, still indicate, right? Yeah, the target um, indicator for your for your for your speed to fly at it will still move. It'll still okay give the equivalent of, but without the auto throttles connected, it won't automatically put it there. Right. But right, it'll right, it'll right. basically say, yeah, fly that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because you know, never flying with ground speed mini or ground speed maxi for that matter. Oh, yeah, but you, you just do it manually. You, you add a gust factor and you do all that kind of stuff. That's all it really you know is. That. One last comment from Maine Marin there, Jeff. And okay, one more comment from our live audience before we move on from Maine Marin. The airplane had more wrinkles than a Sharpay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree. Wrinkly dog. Uh, uh, is sadly, cute. we've done wrinkly airplanes quite recently. We have. Yeah, we Seems to be a, a recurring theme. Around. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Indeed. Let's move on uh, with this next one. Paddle your own canoe, uh, the source. So it should be interesting. Uh, Air France flight attendants pushed, uh, rushed to put on special smoke hoods so they could extinguish an onboard fire after a passenger's battery pack caught fire during a flight from uh, Paris to Accra, Ghana. Uh, The frightening incident happened on Monday. Of course, we've had this in our news folder for a little bit, so I don't know how long ago it was. Uh, a witness um, on board the Airbus A330 stated he started to smell an odor of burning electronics and initially started to check his own belongings before realizing that a battery pack belonging to the passenger sitting in front had started to smoke. Uh, Matthew Palonesa said the battery pack was, uh, let me try that again, uh, Matthew Palonesa. Thank you. Uh, said the battery pack was plugged into the seat power supply and was charging while simultaneously charging a mobile phone that was connected to the battery pack. I guess Ooh. that's not a good thing to do. Uh, tends to get toasty. Yeah, yeah. The passenger who owned the battery pack, however, had fallen asleep and was none the wiser that his belongings were just about to start an in-flight emergency. Uh, Matthew had praised, has praised the coolness and exemplary professionalism of the flight attendants who rushed to equip themselves with firefighting equipment and quickly extinguished the smoking battery pack. Um, fellow passenger Marie Cecily Zinzu um, praised the air crew, stating that uh, a catastrophe had been avoided due to their responsiveness and professionalism. Anything else uh, here to add, or am I just going to continue to read uh, very, very... Eyewitness accounts of... Eyewitness accounts and how well and professional and um, responsive they were. Uh, There's an interesting comment here that apparently came from the FAA. They suggested that passengers keep their electronic devices charged just 30% or less because this drastically reduces the risk of thermal runaway event. I've never heard that. Hmm. Yeah, and are people going to post TikToks? I think what they, I almost wonder if what they mean is when you plug it in to charge it, that you only charge it 30% at a time so it doesn't get really hot. Yeah, I don't think they want them to be yeah, above that charge level, right? Because then 
some wonky things might happen with the battery yeah. controller. Just charge all your stuff before you take it on the airplane. Yeah, and just don't. And yeah, and don't plug it in, right? Yeah. Don't charge it. I don't know. Mm. Just get rid of all these smart devices completely. No, I'm just kidding. That's Bring a book. Talk to your neighbor. <laughs> Look out the window. We won't need the podcast if they do that. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Never mind. Disregard that last thing I said. Okay. Down to number I, I think. Uh, and I might remind you of our strap line, electronic devices turned on. Exactly. Yeah. And there's and there's a reason behind that little uh, uh, oh, yeah. motto that, I, that I've adopted many years ago. We're not going to go there today. Uh, all right, and uh, let's move on to item I, uh, also from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Uh, an airport worker with an airside pass at Philadelphia International Airport has been terminated from his job after he was caught with a loaded... Oh, shoot. Uh, hang on. i got to get ready. Um, a loaded gun. <laughs> there we go. While passing through a TSA security checkpoint while on his way to work at an unnamed retail concession. Uh, the Oh, too bad we couldn't come up with some cute uh, concession that had something with like gunshot in the name. Uh, oh, well. In Philadelphia? Late. Yeah. Hmm, maybe not. Um, okay. The man claimed he had been at a shooting range and had forgotten that his gun was still in his bag. The 9mm handgun was loaded with nine bullets, including one in the chamber. That's not good. TSA agents quickly identified the handgun in the worker's bag, and he was cited by local local police. How did they figure it out? Well, it looked just like a handgun. Uh, He also had his airside pass revoked, meaning that he is unable to work at the airport. Um, so the uh, TSA federal security director for the Philadelphia airport, uh, said that the man posed a possible insider threat, someone who works with an organization who poses a threat to safety or security. Uh, so far this year, the TSA has detected 26 handguns at checkpoints within Phil- Philadelphia airport. Last year, the security agencies stopped 44 guns from being brought through checkpoints at the airport a massive increase on pre-pandemic levels when only 20 handguns were. That's still too many (laughs) Uh, back in 2019. Um, Let's see. The rise can be attributed to two main reasons. The first is that people have seemingly forgotten that they can't bring their handgun in the cabin of a plane. Oh, yeah. Well, I forgot. And the second is that the TSA is actually getting better at detecting prohibited items. Maybe. Isn't that their job? Yeah, that is is their their job. job. (laughs) Although... (laughs) I will say probably more in the past two years going through security, at least here where I live, probably 30% of the time, they'll just ask even before you get up to hand over your ID and your boarding pass, you know, as you're getting into the correct line for security screening, uh, now's a good time to make sure you don't have any firearms. And I'm like, really? Okay. (laughs) But I guess to some people that might be a good thing to ask. For a while they were handing out, like they wouldn't even say it. They just had little like stop sign cards printed Mm -hmm. out that said, check your bag for firearms. And then you like, they had to give it to you and then you had to like put it back in a little bin so they they could recycle them. So they're putting the onus on you now. (laughs) I don't know. I guess it's becoming a big problem. All right. Well, I'm glad they caught this case and whether this was part of an insider thing going on or if it was just, just a dumb you know guy. ignorance um who knows really yeah all right and which one jay you last, say? last but not least all right jay. last but not least 
this from airlive.net. Um, a man has been arrested for claiming to be an Air India pilot. I guess that's a very offensive thing to do. Um, the man wearing a pilot's uniform told boarding staff that he was an Air India pilot. Didn't even look Indian. No, nope. I know. Well, I don't know. Stat, is this actually? A, no, that's just from the article. Oh, that, I don't know if that's. This is, a, this is a journalism report, so yeah. I mean, so I don't think oh, that this you're is, lucky that it's uh, a, a, a kind of an airline-looking pilot and not yeah, like a and, cruise and ship another captain. Ship's captain. Or... <laughs> 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 All right, so we got a funny-looking picture. Yeah, <laughs> that could be a navy outfit or something. I don't know. Um, Anyway, the man wearing a pilot's uniform uh, told boarding staff that he was an Air India pilot. The flight staff became suspicious and informed the airport security officials when he failed to answer during the interrogations. He was arrested. Which way you pull for the houses to get small? He said, forward. Uh-oh. Mm, yeah, that's suspicious. <laughs> well, actually, I, yeah. I wouldn't have been suspicious at all because he, he told them he was a pilot. I mean, every pilot does that, doesn't they? Yeah. Yes, that's how you identify a pilot. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. They're I mean, just going to tell you. Yeah. How do you know the when there's a pilot? At the, okay. <laughs> yeah, the story does get better. You're right, Liz. Uh, during interrogations, it was revealed that he posed as a pilot only to impress his girlfriends. <laughs> plural. 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 Friends. Plural. Oh, my Lord. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So uh, police made him send a message <laughs> to his girlfriend saying he is not a pilot and handed him over to his family. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's the best part of the story. Yeah. The man well, wanted to become a pilot, messages. but could not pursue his dream due to the poor economic condition of his family. He took ground staff training at a private institute in Mumbai. According to police, the man said that he had girlfriends in Ahmedabad. Uh, Ahmedabad? Uh, Ahmedabad. Uh, that too. Yeah. Uh, which is a neighboring city, I think. Uh, Rajkot and Mumbai. Do you have any, any ideas? Um, also in the Netherlands, yeah. uh, when he came wow. to know one of his girlfriends, uh, was in, uh, Hyderabad, 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 uh, he reached, how bad? Hyderabad. He reached, uh, <laughs> Vadodara airport to board a flight to meet her. After I, you're probably wondering what was that sentence that Jeff just tried to uh, I read? Know. I don't know. I've uh, lost Jeff, it. Just massacred. Yeah. Uh, after interrogating him, the cops uh, asked him to send a message to all his girlfriend. We already heard that uh, after he was handed to his family. Okay. So I'd like to know, do, hey, does that really work, people out there? You know, for the people listening who have impersonated uh, a pilot uh, out there to impress girlfriends, does that work? Isn't in that why we all got into this? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not. <laughs> well, Absolutely. I'm not sure. It doesn't work for me anymore. I'll tell you that. But, um, oh, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> anyway, do you tell all your girlfriend girlfriend stuff that you're a pilot? I, I do, actually. Uh, That's that, how I have so work? many girlfriends. <laughs> well, I mean. You do have girlfriends. I've met them. To fold here. Yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, okay. All right, so uh, that's that's all we have to say about that. So I guess now, oh, thankfully, we get to move on to something that might be a little bit more interesting. Getting to know us segment. It's that time of the show that we kind of get all caught up with what we've all been doing between shows. And it's been a while since Miami Rick has been with us. So uh, yeah, so catch a, give, give us the. Um, 
what do they call it? Reader's abridged, Digest abridged version. Um, version of the uh, of the story. He's been flying around. The Cliff Notes. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, so uh, yeah. So as everybody knows, I came back to the 747 back in March. So um, I did that. Uh, it was, there was a little bit of a of, of a hurry to come back because um, if I if I had stayed on the 76 a little bit longer, I would have had to have gone through the entire um, 747 course again. Mm. And I tell you, that is one bear of a course. Yeah. So uh, we did the. The, the short course, which was nice, just a couple of sim, a uh, couple of um, fixed based um, training device sessions for you know to to get your flows down again. Because since I last flew the seven four, um, uh, the standard operating procedures changed a little bit here and there. Uh, new procedures were adopted, uh, flows changed, uh, and uh, well, anyway, so you, you have to do that on, on on an FTD versus using the full flight sim for that because obviously full flight sim it's 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 a more it's a lot more expensive and other people need to use it for recurrent training and, and, and such. So um uh did the FTD sessions, went to the sim, I think it was uh one, two, three, it was four full flight sessions with the recommend ride and then the check ride so all together just uh six six sessions um from uh, the first uh, full flight to the check ride which is uh it's pretty pretty obliged uh pretty pretty quick uh everything obviously worked out fine uh, when i uh, went on to um initial operating experience uh which was nice uh, so I, I flew with a with a uh, with a check pilot, instructor pilot, the, the first couple of times, uh, did a flight down to uh, Campinas, down to Brazil, and then uh, ended up uh, in Los Angeles. Then flew my first uh, Dash Eight, um, a 74-8 Dash uh, Eight flight uh, from uh, L.A. over to Osan, uh, just south of uh, Seoul. It's an air base out there in South Korea. And then continued on. I think I did a flight over to China. I ended up in Anchorage, and then uh, yeah. and then my last uh, my my, my check ride actually was uh, my PM uh, leg was from Memphis over to Honolulu, and then my my check ride proper line check was from Honolulu back to Memphis, which uh, which was you know very nice. So after that, um, had to fly a hundred hours PIC. Uh, pilot in command time to get released uh, from what's called high minimums, which basically means that you can't shoot um, category three approaches um, on land. Um, the certain weather criteria that needs to be met for me to be able to fly the do the flight legally under high mins um, uh, category. So once I have those 100 hours PIC time, I'm released from high mins, and now I'm you know completely uh, you know just. Uh, just a regular line pilot. So after that, uh, it's, it's been busy. Um, uh, been doing a lot of, uh, Asia stuff. Like I talked about earlier today, uh, a lot of Hong Kong flying, which is great because that's, you know, it's one of my favorite layovers. Uh, got to go back to, uh, Kazakhstan, um, a couple of weeks ago, which was nice. Uh, we, we used to fly through there quite a bit, but never laid over there. Uh, this, this last time we actually got to lay over there, uh, for a couple of days, uh, uh, and then uh, went on to um, uh, where do we go? Zaragoza, Spain, which uh, uh, southern Spain this time of year is just phenomenal. So I spent spent some time there. Um, but just you know, overall been 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 busy. Coming up on um, my first uh, recurrent uh, here at the end of the month. So it's been six months since I got since I got checked out. Uh, going uh, down to Miami for that as as usual. Um, and then on the home front, I've uh, been busy here as well. Um, uh, house getting worked on, uh, 
things with the family and the dogs and everything is fine. And uh, just uh, it's just been it's been good. Just just very 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 busy, but good. Yeah, it is really really great to see you, uh, Rick. And um, I know a lot has probably happened uh, that you kind of glossed over, but uh, uh, that's the gist of it. And and yeah. Uh, but yeah, so and we're just thrilled that you're back uh, with us today on Thank the show. And I know you're very busy. Um, uh, yeah, and that, I, I need to I need to figure out a way to to because uh, now that I'm going back to flying international, you know, around the world stuff, uh, and I've uh, I've I've shrunk my the my kit, the the, the kind of you know the, the the number of things I carry around on on my on my trips, and so I, I need to figure out. Um, uh, a, 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 I guess an setup. efficient way of, yeah, an efficient setup for us to be able to do this uh, while I'm on the yeah, road. Cause otherwise it's, yeah, yeah I'm thinking so that, we'll, we'll uh, work on that, yeah, that's, that's like what I love about all this is like figuring out all that's the, jam. all the, all the kit for uh, doing this. So we'll, we'll come up with some awesome setup that doesn't take up a lot of uh, space and have a lot of weight. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, um, thank you for getting us up to date there, Rick. And I guess uh, let's yeah, let me do this. Uh, Lily uh, in our chat room is uh, with us uh, right now, and she contacted me um, about a week ago and asked if I might uh, promote something on our show today, uh, something that is happening next week in um, uh, Orlando. Um, so let's see, it's the Latino Pilots Association, uh, is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2015 by five friends attending Jacksonville University. Our aim is to inspire, develop, and support the Latino aerospace and aviation communities, further eliminating socioeconomic barriers through representation, financial support, and education and mentorship. Today, we have over 1,900 active members. The LPA is thrilled to invite your podcast audience, so people, listen up. The first annual Latin Aerospace Industry Expo presented by United Airlines on September 15, 2023 at the stunning Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center located in Kissimmee, Florida. Give me a kiss. Kissimmee, I guess, is the way you pronounce it. It's a great um, convention center. I've actually been to a conference there, believe it or not, with all the conferencing I do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the conferencing. Attended. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Well, it's no skiing around there, though. I don't <laughs> Water skiing. No, there's oh, Disney okay, World. So fair enough. Uh, join us in kicking off the beginning of National Hispanic Heritage Month 2023, which runs from September 15 through October 15 by spending it at the inaugural flagship event of the LPA. Uh, the Legacy Airlines will be at our event doing meet and greets. So this is, uh, by the way, you're on the list because, uh, uh, you know, Acme is a Legacy Airline, Nick. And Nick, uh, you had some time I, I could see in your calendar. So you're going to be representing us uh, for the first couple of days um, here at the uh, at the event. Uh, I just haven't told you yet. Um and uh, there's an extensive list of, um, let's see, so I should probably start over. Uh, the Legacy Airlines will be at our event doing meet and greets. So this is a great opportunity for pilots and those in the aviation industry to come and network. There is an extensive list of other exhibitors on our website. This is an event you don't want to miss. 
And the itinerary is September 14, uh, the LPA Welcome Cocktail Reception, sponsored by Southwest Airlines. Oh, Nick can go to that. And destination 225 degrees, 225 degrees. Why am I going to all these things? Uh, because, well, you're the one that drinks the best uh, of, of all of us. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. And uh, that's from 6.30 to 9. Uh, September 15, uh, the Latin Aerospace Industry Expo, presented by United Airlines, 9 a.m. to 4.30. And then uh, there's a reception, a gala celebration um, uh, from 7.30, I guess, that evening till late, it says, <laughs> or early maybe. Uh, September 16, uh, Kissimmee Gateway Airport and LPA food truck fly-in event from 10 to 3. Uh, fees for the Latin Aerospace Expo are on this link. And, hey, I'll have a special discount code. It'll be completely free for you. Just contact me. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't give me a special discount code. Um, so we're going to have some links uh, that we'll put in the show notes if you guys want to check this out for uh, the fees and registration and other details relating to the event. There's a nice website here, latinopilot.org. Um, www.latinopilot.org. If you have any questions about the event, email us at lpa-events at latinopilot.org. And again, this is from uh, Lily. Again, she's in our live audience right now. Uh, Liliana de la Cruz Sanchez. She's the regional team lead, Pacific Latino Pilots Association. And uh, let's see, what is she saying here? Um, she's saying... It's she is saying uh, it's to network and meet potential employers. So I would imagine, so people out there that are trying to get a job in the uh, aviation uh, industry are probably mostly focused on airlines, I'm guessing. Uh, correct, Lily? Um, would be, uh, this would be a good place to go and, and, you know, meet some people and, you know, get people to know who you are, uh, put a, a face with the name and, uh, you know, try to, Try to get on with uh, one of these yeah, great You might be able uh, to put your CV in the hands of your potential employer. Exactly. Yeah. Aviation is a very, very small community, and uh, it's all about it's all about networking. That's how, that's how I got my first instructor job. That's how I got my first mechanic job, my first airline pilot job. It's all it's all about networking. So these these uh, these events are um, instrumental in uh, um, advancing your career as an airline pilot. Not to mention, my, who doesn't like to go to a party? Right. Um, exactly. Uh, she's, uh, Lily says that uh, mostly airlines are there, but uh, airframe and power plant, I guess, uh, mechanical uh, mechanics uh, kind of stuff, engineering, as well as uh, air traffic control. There you go. So, yeah. And Liliana, of- I would love to go, but I'll be on the wrong side of the world. But I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic event. Yes. So, um yeah, so uh, we'll we'll mention it again on our next show, um, but only uh, it'll probably only be effective for those that are that are listening and watching live when we record next week. But mm-hmm. uh, um, we were just happy that we were able to uh, say something about it on this show, and hopefully somebody out there will uh, hear this and get excited about it and uh, show up. You know what I can do if you want is I can I can you know just send me the link I, I can retweet it and you know we can all retweet Ooh. it and you know, what well, you're on uh, people, you're on so. uh, X what used to be called Twitter oh yeah now it's called X right yeah yeah and so, are uh, you uh, and you have some followers followers he does no not 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 too not, many not that many but <laughs> maybe, I'll, I'll maybe try pe- I'll try my 
I'll try my best. Pete, the post-it note could tweet it out. Oh, Pete. Yeah, Pete will definitely retweet it. He's got quite the Oh, yeah, post-it note Pete. If you're not sure what that's all about. I live in his shadow, a square shadow. Tell us about post-it note Pete. Post-it note, Pete. I'm sorry. Oh, post-it note. Oh, post-it Pete. Uh, he's uh, post-it he's Pete. my he's my partner in crime. Uh, he's um, so it, it's funny because um, as 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 you progress as an airline pilot and really in any craft, uh, you you try to you try to pick up you know aspects and things from different people, things that you like, things that things that are that are that, that you see as 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 useful. And, uh, and, and the post-it thing is one, is something I picked up from a, uh, from a, from a captain, uh, some years ago. And the funny thing is that I see my early post-its compared to what I have now, uh, the amount of information that has been, you know, added to the post-it, uh, to give me the, 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 the type of stuff that I need for my, my, it's my day, day to day operation. It's, it's, it's funny cause it's, it used to be just the flight number to all the stuff I have on there now. And, um, and that's part of my 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 pre-flight, um, I guess, um, routine. My my, my pre-flight, um, I, uh, yeah. So it, you just you just sit down, you get the paperwork from the company, and you and you and you write down obviously the flight number, the uh, time of departure, time of arrival, the 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 runway that you're going to use, the engine failure procedure, the number of people on board, so that if anything happens. You have that information you right in front of you. You don't have to go, you know, searching for it and you don't have to go thinking about it. It's all right there. So um that's what that's what Pete does. And he's been doing a great job over yeah, the last Pete uh, is actually years. I mean like an uh he, he's come to life, this paper. Oh, he's, 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 he has. he's a yeah. celebrity. Yeah, he's uh he's he's got quite the following, Pete. He's, he's an uh, influencer. He, he really <laughs> is. You, you should see his TikToks. Those are for uh, you know. <laughs> for uh, for for the older crowd, but uh, but he's uh, Pete after dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pete after dark. <laughs> Pete after ten. So uh, so uh, no, but it uh, it it's great stuff. And Pete uh, Pete is uh, he's he's my companion on the road. So he's uh, is good stuff. You know his uh, his uh, whatever it is now X or Twitter profile pic. It reminds me a lot of you remember like the. Um, paperclip from like Microsoft. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine his like personality being very like, bouncy like that. You know, he'd, like bounce across the screen and like smile. And... It, it depends on the color of the post-it. You know, if, if it's a yellow one, then he's happy. If it's uh, you know the the orange one, he's been out on the beach too long. Uh, the, the 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 dark blue one, you know, he's kind of cold. So I kind of that's kind of how I I think of it in my head. But he's a he's a good dude. You know, Pete, Pete, Pete's a bro. All right. Yeah, check it out. We'll have some links to that in uh, on the Twixter uh, in our show notes. Um, all right. Happy. Very good. Well, no, before we do that, uh, I'd like to uh, continue oh. with on some other information that I wanted to uh, get out there. Uh, mentioned it on the last episode. Paul, you're a check uh, in Toronto, his Toronto meetup, uh, also on Friday, September 15, but uh, in a different area of North America up there in Toronto. Uh, at the uh, craft beer market, and he um, is asking people if you're going to use the email, which we'll have in the show notes, to put uh, APG Meetup somewhere in the subject line of the email. He doesn't want to miss any emails. And uh, he also has uh, a a telephone number that you can uh, use to contact him, and we'll put that in the show notes as well uh, so that um, they can also get a hold of him through Facebook Messenger. So... Anyway, uh, that's still on for the end of next week as well. So I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that again. And uh, so, uh, Steph, it's been a while since we've had you on as well. So what have you been up to? 
Yeah, I was looking back because I couldn't remember, so I would know what to uh, talk to you about <laughs> in my Cliff Notes version of my life, uh -huh. um, if I can even remember half the things that have happened in the past two weeks. But I think the last show I was on, was that 581? That was like August 16th or something that we recorded that, I right know. before I went to Elizabeth and Cape Cod for a run. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think I, I shared those details. Um, but yeah, I had a nice uh, nice weekend up in Cape Cod with my running coach and a couple of teammates ran the Falmouth um, Road Race, which is an interesting seven-mile uh, race, which is not Jeff a has a race? Really? Yeah, Jeff Falmouth. No, Fal. <laughs> wow. Very close. That's I probably am not pronouncing it like with a correct, okay. you know, New England, like Massachusetts, Cape Cod accent. I can't do that accent. Um, but... Yeah, that was great. It was very nice weather up there. It was in the like mid upper seventies the whole time, which was a nice departure from here. Um, it's been in the nineties. Summer has not quit yet here. Um, but had a nice weekend hanging out with my, my running coach who lives up in the Boston area, a couple of other teammates. One came up from Orlando to run one from uh, New Jersey. Um, it's a pretty well-known race, surprisingly, um, for being an odd distance. Uh, it's been around for 51 years. And, uh, as far as best I can tell, it, it began as a race between two bars. So my kind of race right there <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> starts at one bar and nice. another bar. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. And then the next two weeks, man, I just have been clobbered by work meetings. Mostly, um, there was a lot of stuff happening after hours in terms of, uh, you know, just everything seems to kind of happen all at once. There's always quarterly meetings for, uh, you know, our division and then department and then a full group meeting. And they just were happening like one after another, like a Tuesday, Thursday and the following Tuesday. And uh, it just got got busy. So my apologies for being absent. Um, did a little bit of flying in the meantime on the weekends. Still managed to squeeze some of that in. Um, I actually, let's see, last weekend I flew. Um we, uh, just airplane situation wise, um, we have a couple of, uh, caravans, one we've been, um, loaning out to other drop zones that have been in need of airplanes. Um, uh, seems to always happen that someone's got an airplane in maintenance for something, but having the, the extra one, um, means that I get to do some flying, even when it's not my turn to, to do so, cause they need an extra pilot. So did some of that this past weekend and the weekend before that, they thought they were going to need me for, um, to be able to fly uh, two airplanes at our drop zone. And, uh, it ended up not being quite that busy leading up to the holiday. So I got to do some, some fun jumps instead. And that was very nice as well. Um, including a, a wingsuit rodeo. That was a first for me. Um, if anyone wants no, to know so what that is. A, did you get in a wingsuit? No, I did not get in a wingsuit. Ah. Um, basically as we're leaving. So my friend, uh, Reese was in his wingsuit. Um, other friend, Trent, uh, wingsuiting as well, taking some video for us. Um, and as we leave the airplane, basically I'm holding on to Reese's skydiving rig um, as best I can. And we try and leave the airplane at the same time. And then basically I'm riding on the back of his wingsuit uh, down through about 6,000, 5,000, 6,000 feet. How was that? It was super fun. Yeah, I had a great time. Excellent. What kind of a saddle do you use? A, yeah, no. Uh -huh. <laughs> skydiving rig. <laughs> <laughs> however comfortable the you know fancy parachute backpack is um wow but yeah that was that a lot of fun amazing. had a couple of, of really fun uh fun jumps last, or two weekends ago so that was good um nice probably flying again this weekend coming up actually i know i am because i'm actually on the schedule to fly this weekend not sure which of our caravans i'll be flying depends on who else needs an airplane this weekend and um 
Yeah, been out in the sun a lot, like you were saying at the beginning of the show. Have not been at the beach. That's what all my patients want to know, because I guess that's the only way people get sun around here is they take a vacation to the beach. But aside from Cape Cod, which I don't know if that really counts as the beach, um, just been outside doing lots of things. Excellent. Trying to think if there's anything else. I don't think so. I think that about, about sums it up. Well, Captain Nick, you've been outside uh, a lot. Look at the sun on your face. What have you been up to? Uh, Indeed, yeah. Um, Well, the handsome Burke's Cup, uh, it was, uh, we've had a a really hot spell uh, and bright sunshine. And the temperature has been, I guess, around 30 degrees centigrade. That's uh, in the mid to high 80s. There you go, Fahrenheiter. Uh, and um, we played in a bowling match. Uh, it it took quite a while to play this match. It's the culmination of a big knockout competition through uh, Hampshire and Berkshire. And um, as we have for the last two years, uh, our club won it uh, again. So uh, really pleased with that. We put up a, a great performance coming back from a uh, an early slump uh, to uh, finally pit them by uh, a total of only 11 shots, which uh, was actually just shows how tired it was. Anyway, wow. that was great fun. Enjoyed that. And uh, that's where the, the sunburn came from because I didn't think to put any suntan cream on. But um, the other thing uh, is um, the uh, forgotten video. Uh, so I found a video uh, from way back when Jeff came to the UK to uh, watch the British Grand Prix, Formula One, and he had a go at driving a, uh, a Formula One motor car. I thought you'd perhaps like to watch this. Great. Can't wait. Why don't you tell me you were filming? I would have sucked my gut in. <laughs> Have you found Jess Button yet? Yeah, this will go. Well done. All you've got to do is accelerate brake and then steer. Well, I don't have to worry about any of the other no, buttons. None of the buttons. Oh, that's good. Steer, yeah. So you can pop this on if you want to listen to it. What does that do? You can just hear the light. Okay. Yeah, and then just click that one when you're ready to go and it should start. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Oh. oh, nice one. Oh, I mean, I've seen Jeff's driving. <laughs> I'm not a bad driver. What am I doing? I know. But not well, with Formula One. I'm not a good driver. Tell you, Jeff. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, no. <laughs> Where am I going? Wow. Did they not provide a brake pedal? Yeah, there's a brake pedal on the left. Take off, Jeff. Uh, okay. It's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> or, or is it not as hard as it looks? I don't know. Oh, that's <laughs> harder than it looks. It hard, yeah, it's, it's harder than it looks. That's what she said. That's what she said. Yeah, it, it, it's not distracting at all, Nick, taking all these Somebody hit me. Videos of me. Oh, somebody hit you. Yeah. As for it, yeah, make the thing. Ha, 
Look, I'm almost up with Botas. He's probably lapped you two times. Oh, quit looking. Quit taking pictures of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. See? Now, let's see some uh, footage of uh, you doing the same thing, Nick. Um, so, uh, uh, no, I didn't want to uh, embarrass you, old chap. That was fine. Anyway, uh -huh. it was good fun. Really? It, it oh. was, but it took me for some persuading to get you into the chair, but uh, I thought you quite enjoyed it once you were in there. No, I didn't. I didn't enjoy that at all. And <laughs> I told you I didn't want to do it specifically because I knew that this would happen, what you just did. Show me yeah, trying well, to drive a Formula One car, and uh, yeah. life's life's a bitch. Then you die. <laughs> all that, all the uh, that experience in the loser cruiser paid off, according to Tim Van Ram. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. Nice it didn't pay done. off at all. <laughs> so, so that, that's it for me. Sorry, that's what about uh, the cover uh, art. Cover art. Yeah, let's do. Uh, oh, let's yeah. talk about cover I art. Mention that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. An interesting title, T for the Tillerman. Uh, which, of course, is Cat uh, Stevens' uh, uh, album and uh, name of a song. So uh, we tried to do something Cat uh, Stevens-y. Uh, so it's very loosely based on um, the uh, on the um, uh, cover art for that album. Uh, I noticed that Liz is helping. Uh, uh, the cat with it, who, which has blue eyes and a sort of a white mustache. Um, a bit like someone I know, um, who's uh, got his hand on the tiller, yeah, but that. Liz is also helping out in the yeah. <laughs> tiller there as well. Oh, well, the image is gone, but not Sorry. to worry. That's right. And no, no, in we're, the we're trying to coordinate a... something in the background here and it's not working very well. Um, oh. I'm going to uh show the image and that way we can zoom in and all that kind of stuff. All right, okay. Uh, so, uh, just stand by, let me, uh, get that shared. You know, if we had done a rehearsal for the show, this would have been a I thought, lot smoother. I thought this was the rehearsal. Well, it available. kind of is. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and share that. Um, Liz. Uh, just one minute. Okay. There we go. Okay. Now. Oh, you see the whole thing there. Yes. Yes. In the background is a crashed helicopter, which was part of the, the news. And if you're uh, interested in trying to find the number, did you find it, Liz? I did not. No, Liz couldn't find it. I didn't uh, either. Look at the flag and the corner of the building just underneath the M of Tillerman. Okay. okay. If you can zoom in there. Oh, I see APG on the flag. Yeah, well, go up and right a bit. So okay. APG is um, in the flag. And have and you right. worked out? Oh, I see it right yeah. there. So APG is on the flag. And uh -huh. the uh, there you go. Can you now see the, yeah. the number? Except for that show on was 584, I thought. No, I'm just kidding. It was 584. <laughs> oh, there it is. I see it now. Oh, yeah, wow. there you go. I was go. not looking it's in the right place at all. And that oh, bit of tatty old rag there. So that was harder than usual, that one. So yeah, it was. Sorry if you couldn't find that. Yeah, don't make it. Oh, look, Liz. I didn't know that was Liz um, next to Steven. Yeah, it says Liz on her hat. Yeah. That's yeah. why it's Liz uh, right helping you with the tiller. There. 
she's got a, a really bad expression on her face. She's very naughty. Yeah, well, that's that's a normal expression she has. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, because when she's on camera, then she's just all smiles. Yeah, but, oh, yeah, she's... Uh, uh, but this uh, is the way she normally looks. Um, yeah, we're taking that out now. And then, uh, wait, before you do, um, th- is this Ooh, the... Sorry, the other one, no, the other one. What? Hang on, I had the wrong one up there. Okay. That, you, you zoomed in on that one, Jeff. Yep, I've zoomed in. Okay, yeah, okay. You're That's what done. we uh, thought we were still showing there. Um, this is um, a close-up of the tiller on the... Um, Twin otter, I think. The otter. I was going to say that looks suspiciously like an otter tiller. And I suspect that (laughs) you guys talked about that incident last show. Is that what we did? Yeah. In St. Barbara. Well, that's right. There's some feedback related to that coming up as well. So. Yep. Excellent. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks again, Nick and uh, Mid Journey for the artwork. Yeah. Mid Journey, um, Photoshop and their equivalent and a whole bunch of other stuff too. There oh, wow. are many layers in that one. Folks, when uh, when Captain Nick does these uh, cover art um, masterpieces, it's it's more than just, right back, uh, just, you know, asking Mid Journey to draw something for, for you. I think it's a lot more involved than that. Oh, well, it is. Otherwise, it's not very personalized. Yeah. Okay, well, we got that. I guess maybe now, uh, although Liz is leaving, um, let's see if we can. No, I'm not. I can't control it. I was going to say we could uh, do the coffee fund, but we're going to have to wait until Liz comes back. <laughs> uh, did we do? Did you have any getting to know you? Oh, um, you yeah. Other than the announcements uh, for uh, the Latino Pilots Association event and uh, Paul's Toronto meetup, uh, both of those uh, the end of next week. Uh, for me, I've just been uh, doing a lot of singing and um, I was invited over, oh, Labor Day, uh, I was invited over to my back. choir director's um, uh, family's celebration for uh, Labor Day. A nice, had some nice ribeye steaks. Well, I only had one, but there were more than one. There was more than one there. I only, they only gave me one. Uh, and uh, some other good uh, uh, food, and uh, it was great. Uh, the, the, her family, um, uh, most of her family was there, and uh, so it was a lot of fun hanging out with them. So uh, that's my that's my big thing, I guess, for the week. And uh, as uh, most of you know, I'm going to be fully retired soon, and uh, not sure exactly when yet, but it's probably going to be sooner rather than later. And uh, I am I'm trying to get myself transitioned properly for uh, full retirement by not not doing a heck of a lot of flying right now. So um, ease right on into it. I'm trying to ease into it. Yes, it's on the glide slope. Yep. So uh, that's that's it for me. And uh, I was going to uh, do the coffee fun now, but we had to wait till you come back, Liz. Yeah, sorry, I'm or, here. Sorry. No problem. Uh, here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. cup, cup, cup. Oh, yeah. The Coffee Fund. Your way, dear listener, to support the show financially. 
and a couple of different ways to do that. Uh, the first is the OG, the uh, Coffee Fun Classic method. And since our last episode, we have two folks, two gentlemen, I think both uh, from the UK, Richard Adams and Mazuz Karim. And Mazuz was uh, in our chat room or is in our chat room. Uh, perhaps he's still there. So thank you to you both for uh, using that uh, Coffee Fun Classic method. And the, the other way to support the show is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And since the last episode, we have a new producer, Kyle Hathaway, and Derek Smith, and uh, we call him Grinner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's, uh, he was a producer, and now he's an executive executive yay. producer. So, yay. So there's some, um, some applause. And let's do uh, a noisemaker. Yay. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that because that's kind of obnoxious. All right. And uh, so if you want to find out more about the coffee fund, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Captain. Incoming message. So let's start off with our feedback segment with this feedback from Vernon Tryon in Fort Morgan, Colorado. He sent us some audio feedback. Good morning, Captain Jeff and crew. This is Vernon Tryon. Listening to 556, I hear that you think I live in Fort Collins uh, near that uh, Horse Tooth Reservoir 172 entrance in uh, Deal. And actually, I'm in Fort Morgan, Colorado, and according to my maps, I'm about 88 miles from Horsetooth Reservoir. I have been there in my life, but uh, interestingly enough, I didn't hear about that 172 incident on the news. Uh, I heard about it from you all at uh, APG. And uh, that, unrelated to that, is a question I've been meaning to pose for Miami Rick for a long, long time. And uh, there was mention of him flying 747s and the Dreamlifter. And I'm curious if the Dreamlifter has uh, any special certification since it's so highly modified. And when you do modifications in general aviation aircraft or some aircraft that's uh, very much out of the realm of its original certification, that it probably has an experimental sticker on it and I'm wondering with the large aircraft like the Dreamlifter if that's a specially certified airplane or uh, what extra it took uh, for not only his training but um, the certification of the aircraft since I think you mentioned there's only four of them. So that's a question I've been wanting to ask for a long time and since I wanted to uh, uh, correct the um, place of my residence I thought I'd include both. And appreciate uh, your efforts and continued work on this uh, your retirement year, and look forward to hearing more. Thank you. Well, thank you again. That was uh, Vernon Tryon, retired CFI, former air traffic controller at uh, Burbank. Uh, yes, in about 1973, and he did talk to Gulfstream Model 159, November 234, Mickey Mouse. Remember, we talked about that. I don't know it was probably a year or more ago. We talked about that. And uh, again, he was um, from Fort Collins, Colorado. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Fort Morgan, <laughs> Colorado. Um, 
So sorry we got that mixed up. Fort something, Colorado. That's what we're going to call it. Um, all right. And um, so anything uh, to uh, answer there? I mean, what, what, what do you think about uh, Vernon's uh, audio feedback, uh, Rick? Yeah, as far as the as flying the Dreamlifter, um, there's no additional training. It's uh, it's it's run of the mill dash four hundred. Obviously, it's heavily modified. Um, but as far as flying it and operating it, uh, uh, there really is no you know difference between that and a just a regular dash four hundred passenger domestic or freighter jet. Uh, there are thing there are a couple of things that. Um, you do need to keep in mind, and they obviously are listed in the uh, flight crew training manual for that particular airplane. And um, the one that comes to mind is probably the most obvious one is the um, reduced um, crosswind capability on that airplane because it has such a large, um, you know, cross section uh, that that area there. Um, it flies. I would say identically to up uh, to a dash 400. Uh, it is a lot louder, um, not because of the shape of the airplane itself, but because when um, the airplane was modified, the they kept all three air conditioning packs intact so that they didn't have to mess with the environmental control system and recertify that. Uh, so the uh, the byproduct of that is that you have the uh, bleed air uh, and all that air from the air conditioning packs um, pressurizing a very very small portion of the jet, which is only the 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 nose section of the of the airplane, uh, because the uh, where you carry the 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 cargo, the freight, the large volume freight, that whole area is unpressurized because it would be well one, you're not carrying anything that needs to be temperature controlled or, or, or um, that you need, to, you know, pressurization for it. You're just basically carrying airplane parts. And so you don't need to pressurize that. And then number two would be very, um, it wouldn't be very practical to pressurize 65,000 cubic feet of area, right? So uh, there's really no, no, no need to do in that. But uh, like I said, they didn't want to have to mess with the ECS. And so they kept all three packs on. And so you have air from three air conditioning packs, pressurizing, a very, very small portion of the airplane. So that makes the airplane very, very loud. Um, it does cruise slightly slower. Um, a regular, you know, Dash 400 freighter cruises at about uh, 8.4 to 8.6, Mach 8.4 to Mach 8.6, um, you know, on just on, on average using average cost indices. Uh, the Dreamlifter cruises at about 8.1 to 8.2. So it's slightly slower. I mean, you're still going over eight miles a minute on that. What a you know. slow. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> that's but fast. The, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Point eight two for that thing. Even though uh, you know it's it's so grotesque, it's it's still it's still pretty fast for for an airplane that you know. Uh, back in the nineties, I mean, all the jets were flying. You know, point eight two to point eight five. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that was not uncommon at all. But the yeah. Newer generation to save fuel, they decided to slow it down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, what the ten eleven was uh, eight five, eight six, something like yep, that. The sure seven was. two was eight four, uh, yep. and then uh, the seven four. Uh, now that Concorde has been retired for a couple of years, now it 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 regained the title of the fastest commercial airplane out there, uh, having a an MMO of Mach decimal nine two. 
I've personally taken it to Mach Decimal 91 on a trip from uh, on a wow. short leg from uh, Sydney to Melbourne. Um, yeah, well, it was it was ATC asked us if we could give him best for worst speed, and I said can do. Oh yeah. So point uh, nine one it was. So, uh, but yeah, but going back to the Dreamlifter, it it flies exactly the same, lands exactly the same. There's no additional training. Uh, it's like I said, it's it's part of your Dash four hundred type uh, type rating, and um, there is no. Um, yeah, it's actually a lot a, a lot simpler to operate because there are things on the Dreamlifter that you don't. They, a lot of things on the Dreamlifter that you do have on on regular Dash four hundreds. You know, like you know, um, like one that comes to mind perhaps is uh, I don't know, like a cargo fire. It's not cargo fires are not an issue on on the Dreamlifter because none of the stuff that we carry on the Dreamlifter is. Uh, is uh, uh, flammable, uh, so it's a lot easier to operate. Um, the thing with the Dreamlifter, though, is that uh, you can't just take it anywhere. You have to fly it to places where uh, it can be properly handled, uh, because that uh, big swing tail needs a special jig and truck and support uh, to be opened and closed. Um, another thing that comes to mind is the fact that the uh, Dreamlifter does not have an APU, an auxiliary power unit, because that usually sits in the tail cone of the aircraft. And that whole area has been, um, you know, emptied out to make room for for freight, large uh, volume freight. And so you do need a lot of ground support for that um, as far as um, electrical power and bleed uh, bleed air uh, goes to start engines and such. Uh, but other than that, it's just a regular run-of-the-mill Dash 400. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's just big and bloated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, good. I'm um, glad that we... Uh, held that for you, uh, Rick, and you were able to answer the, um, the, uh, question for our questions from Vernon. And as always, Vernon, we do appreciate it. And let's continue with this next one. Oh, this is a tough one. Uh, this is from Rico Van Dyke. Uh, he has, um, a special question for, for Rick. He says, um, I'm looking for a balanced solution here. Uh, How much of the Ibiza pool time should I sacrifice for ironing? Thanks. Okay, there's a picture of uh, of Rico here. Um, And he knows that uh, Rick is the, uh, Miami Rick is the expert ironer uh, on the crew. And uh, so uh, what do you think? Um, He's, uh, how much, how much time should he spend ironing and how much time should he spend out there by the pool? Well, uh, two things there. One is how good are you at your creases and for and, and them stain where the way you want them. And then number two, how shiny can you get your shoes to look uh, before showtime? So you have to factor in factor and uh, shoe shine time in that. And so uh, I'm uh, uh, asking uh, a question here as a complete beginner in this. Uh, why can't you iron your shirt by the pool? Oh. Well, that's next. That's like an advanced maneuver. That, that, yeah, that's advanced. a lot of a lot of that's confidence advanced. in your ironing skills to take. See, I'm not. I'm not. I'm nowhere near that level yet. To what? take the entire setup out to pool. Yeah. Also, you know, you have to have an outlet nearby. I don't. Yeah. Like that. And, well, and, and no, once you shoes there, couldn't you? <laughs> once you get really good at edge. it. Once you get really good at it, you 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 scuba dive and you do it underwater. The electrics would be a problem there. I can see that. I see another video coming from Captain Nick. Yeah, in that case, in that case, you have to be careful uh, that you don't go too too deep because you you might have you know decompression sickness uh, because you're you're about to go flying. So that's something else to keep in mind there. 
Um, yeah, so there's you, an you don't awful want to go too crazy. That forget that little uh, requirement there to have. Uh, we our company had 24 hours, uh, and you had to dive no deeper than. Well, you certainly didn't need decomp. You weren't allowed to dive so deep. You needed decompression stop. So a non-decompressed dive, uh, 24 yeah. hours before you flew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lip service to that. Yeah, we have a we have a lot of um, a lot of uh, you know the senior guys and 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 gals that uh, that, that can hold um, a proper Hawaii lines. They travel around with their uh, with their scuba gear, and uh, you know they just you know they just go scuba diving and just you know diving doing their thing uh, there and in uh, northern Australia as well. Very very popular to go up there in uh, the Great Barrier Reef and uh, enjoy that stuff. Well, me. Uh, that- Great Barrier Reef, you can have a great dive and no foot deeper than twelve feet. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Part of the snorkeling, which which that, that would yeah, that would take exactly. care of the, 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 that issue. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. Just, you know me and, and carrying extra stuff. I don't know. But, Maybe Rico can let us know, know what he finally have. did in terms of the balance there. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, maybe Rico, you can um, uh, give us some more feedback and let us know what your solution uh, has been. I'm not too sure about this cable cable handling technique. Can you put this picture that's, up again? That's a question Please. for Nev. Just, actually, can we forward having that over a, to- having the cable uh, between the fingers of the left hand? I'm not yeah. too sure about that. I'd prefer to have it uh, at the other side of the iron myself. Yeah. yeah. Not only that, but I I, I I I I personally the way I iron my shirts is I use. And and some some ironing boards you can't do this because they have the stupid uh, the iron you know I guess platform there where you where you rest the iron in between while you're positioning the shirt. But I, what I personally like to do is I like to use the ninety degree um, side of it. There you go. There we go. So I use the ninety degree side of it, and then I I tuck the shoulder on the ninety degree angle and pull tight, and then use that to uh to to hold the shirt while i'm ironing oh my god look at that hair look like a hippie yeah um yeah or you can just well, use it's my... been affected by the steam you're in a steam yeah. room yeah. yeah exactly exactly so you can just uh, use my ironing technique which what's, is what's that don't don't jump on don't, don't have one. <laughs> or, or captain's captain nick's technique is uh leaving your uh, your, your uniform shirt in the uh, in the dryer in the and taking a oh. no no take it and taking out taking out no, uh, this is captain team. nick's <laughs> technique Sorry, I have no control over the volume. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here's another uh, uh, angle. Uh, The Sahara Desert. Classic. I love the hat. It looks like desert southwest or something yeah it doesn't look like <laughs> this area right that looks like yeah S- sedona area or something yeah, all that red he's in rick's backyard yeah oh yeah i love this one <laughs> it's ironing on his way to sturgis <laughs> if you're just listening to this uh, podcast listeners oh yeah i'm sorry <laughs> Check out the video at whatever time mark this is and, yeah. um, for Captain Nick's reenactment of uh, his extreme ironing, ironing skills. <laughs> we had to play that again because he put so much work into that. 
It did. <laughs> yeah, my other iron te- ironing technique is just leave everything in the dryer. Ah. Just never take it out and then just hit start for a few minutes and you're good to go. Or the stuff that you have to oh, iron, yeah. just throw it away and go to the store throw and buy it another if one. If I have to iron it, it doesn't belong in my house. <laughs> I agree. It doesn't belong as part of my wardrobe. Um, same it. goes for anything well, that can't go in the dishwasher. Not doing it. <laughs> Paper plates, uh, bamboo go. forks, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Very good. Well, um, shall we move on, uh, yeah. Liz? 3D, yep. All right. Let's go to, uh, are we going to skip 3C? Oh, yeah, sorry. 3C, yeah, 3C. Okay. Uh, let's do that one. Uh, and this is, uh, let's see, from Chris. He's a near near Chris. It was a near Chris, not a near miss. Uh, hi, crew. Following the feedback from Chris po- Postal on uh, ABG582, I thought it, uh, I should confirm it was indeed I who came to the great slightly northern meetup in the F1 Cars t-shirt. Glad to see you made it over the 50% threshold in the end. Yes. And man, I could go so many places with that one. Uh, I was listening to the episode on an epic journey back from Oslo back uh, last Tuesday, having had my Monday flight canceled due to the air, air traffic control problems in the UK. Uh, thankfully, within minutes or 15 minutes of the flight cancellation, SAS sent me a text with a new routing the next day flying with them from Oslo to Copenhagen, then on to Hamburg, where I would pick up a BA flight back to Heathrow. The first two legs, despite being earlier than I would consider an acceptable time to be awake, uh, went without a hitch. When I got to Hamburg, uh, BA had no record of my booking, even though I could see it in the BA app. (laughs) Oh, man. And uh, they wouldn't issue me a boarding pass. So after some back and forth with BA and SAS, who couldn't communicate directly, That flight closed without me on board. The best SAS could offer me now was a four-hour wait in Hamburg, followed by a couple of Lutanza flights uh, home via a quick connection in Frankfurt. With a slight delay to the first flight and the time it takes to get from the back of an A321, I departed the first aircraft just 30 minutes before the next one was due to depart. Cue a mad dash from a high-numbered A-gate at the end of the pier, down and up many flights of stairs and through immigration, reaching the B-gate for the next flight in just 19 minutes. Holy cow. That's got to be some kind of a record there. 19 minutes to do all that, including immigration? Wow. Yeah, it's possible. Oh, okay. That's impressive. Yeah, Yeah, well, Steph's a runner. Yeah, Yeah, you got to sprint sometimes. It's worth it. Okay. Uh, back to Chris. Uh, if I thought it would be plain sailing from here, I was sorely mistaken. On my arrival into London, I discovered a lorry fire on the M25 would cause me further delays. After a circuitous route home, I finally arrived 17 hours after leaving the airport hotel that morning. Ooh. So a question for you guys, other than the considerations associated with any delays or cancellations, would the manual processing of flight plans require you to make changes to the way you operate? Or is that someone else's problem? Tailwinds. Chris Griggs. Griggs. Not Chris Postal. Chris Griggs. And, well, it depends on who you ask, Chris. Um, if you ask me, somebody else's problem. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, me too. Well, somebody else's working. problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you do, Steph? Flight planning. Did the uh, flight plans and submitted them. Uh, we just got a copy of what they put in. So, uh, right. Yep, not something plan. we ever did. 
planning is 100% manual all the time. So, yeah. A lot to yeah. be it's, said it's, for uh, doing it manually. Yeah. <laughs> well, nowadays uh, the way the way it works for uh, the way it works for us at least I don't know I don't know if the same way for you Jeff um, on the operational flight plan uh, be it uh, the electronic um, version that you get on the on the iPad mm-hmm. or or the printed version you get a what's called a, a route uplink number and so I punch that route uplink number to the route page. Uh, in the flight management computer, the control display unit, and send, and then via ACARS, um, aircraft address and reporting system, the flight plan is uplinked to the FMC directly, and then all you have to do is activate it and execute it, and then you compare, yeah, and then you compare the uplinked version to what's filed, because a lot of people will go, and this is something that I that I tell the newer FOs because there's, I mean, there, there are some things that you learn in the schoolhouse, which, which is, you know, obviously the basics and all, all, on how to operate the jet and all that stuff. But then there's other stuff that you learn on the line and which is why initial operating experience is so important. And so I see a, a lot of, uh, uh, newer FOs cross checking the uplinked route with the first page of the OFP instead of, flipping the page over and cross-checking the uplink route with the ATC filing strip, which is what ATC has in their possession. Uh, and so um, you compare one with the other and uh, make sure that they jive. And if they do, uh, you do one more check, which is you compare the the distance that the flight plan lists for that route versus the distance that the FMC predicts the route is going to take. And that has to be within a couple of miles of each other. Um, and obviously there's, there's, there's things here and there that, that can change that number, you know, whether or not you're, you're, uh, also including the, uh, the, the instrument departure procedure and the arrival procedure or not. Uh, but as long as those numbers are relatively close, uh, then, you know, you're fine, um, as far as, 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 as distance and the route. And so that's kind of how we do it. But, uh, but going back to your question, yes, it's absolutely, uh, dispatches, uh, I wouldn't say problem, but it's, it's their, it's in their purview. It's what they. It's what they exactly the responsibility, and that's what they do. And it's our responsibility to, as Rick just mentioned, you know, to check it all, and not only check the actual details of the refiled flight, but also if you, as the commander, agree that that's what you want to do. You know, that's another aspect. Oh, exactly right. Many a times I've uh, I've I've turned down, uh, um, and, and as I'm sure we all have, um, dispatches. Uh, uh, I guess suggestion to do something mm-hmm. for one reason or another. Um, right. So um, nothing wrong with that. Nope. Yeah, but it's extremely critical to make sure that all all these things are matching up because it's um, it's kind of uh, not a good thing when you get the old uh, uh, Acme. Um, wh- where are you going? <laughs> oh, we're going to Boston. Why? Oh, well, you're not flying the correct uh, departure procedure. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then there's a lot of pain. And, and you know stuff. what? And nowadays it's, it's, um, there's, there's a couple of new systems that are, you know, that I've just come online here over the last couple of years that I've been operating, uh, uh, the, you know, heavy jets. Uh, one is, uh, the PDC pre-departure clearance. And then the other one is, um, you get your clearance directly via CBDLC, which is, which is great. So all you do is you just log on I'm here in the States, uh, as well, CBDLC control, controller pilot direct, uh, 
controller pilot data link communication. So it's basically a a, a direct link between the pilot and, and the controller, kind of like a text message system. There, it's really easy because all you really do is you log into your into CPDLC, which in the states it's KUSA, and then the system knows when your clearance is available, and uh, it'll tell you. It'll you know flash up on the screen ATC message. It'll ding, and uh, it'll it'll show up um, on the on the ATC page of the of the control display unit. And you can even load it directly from the CPDLC message straight into the FMC, and then cross-check that. And so that that takes the uh, the you know the 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 keying factor where you can make a mistake, you know that that, that error uh, possibility out, which is and they just keep making it easier and easier and easier. And so uh, yeah, so PDC and CPDLC, uh, CPDLC is used a lot overseas. I I, I use CPDLC all over, you know. In uh, Japan, Southeast Asia, and China, obviously they do that. And in China nowadays, they they went one step further, and um, they actually give you the it's the standard uh, instrument procedure to expect the arrival procedure to expect via CPDLC. Um, but they still haven't fixed the flying and meters part, so I hope they they get to that uh, someday. Uh, yeah, very fancy stuff. So just to be sure, because we talk about CPDLC uh, from time to time here when you're not here. And we always go, uh, what does that stand for? Controller pilot. So, so let me write this down again. Controller pilot. Data link. Data Communication. Link. Communication. Thank you, because we never can figure out what that means. <laughs> we know, I mean, we know the practicality of what it means. We just don't know the actual acronym. So thank you. Yeah. It's controller pilot text message. Yeah. There, there you go. It's like a, yeah. It's like a text message thing. Yeah. CPDLC. Don't ask it's, me anymore. Yeah. It's, it's great stuff. It's, uh, <laughs> it's mostly, mostly used, uh, mostly used en route. Um, uh, Canada uses it a lot. Uh, and the cool thing about it is that once you log in to a, uh, it's called an ATSU, right? Air traffic service unit. Once you log to one, they will automatically sequence to the, to the next one, to the next applicable one. So instead of you, you, you will get a, a, um, a frequency handoff via CPDLC. And all you have to do is check in on VHF or HF, whatever the case is, and let them know that you're CPDLC uh, connected and you never hear from ATC again. Everything is sent to you via text. It's just amazing. That's nice. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't realize it meant that. I thought it was crap pilot doesn't listen carefully. <laughs> well, that's... That's well, the, that, was from the, the that was the original. <laughs> that was the original iteration. Uh, oh, okay. and, uh, That's why they had to come up yeah. with it because like, exactly. these pilots aren't listening to us. These anyway. crap pilots. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah, the same guys that come up with the uh, the names for all the military operations were uh, were contracted for this, and they came up with uh, Yeah. Ah, oh, the same guy that came up with the notices to air missions. Um, uh, yeah, don't get me started. No, I know. I won't. Uh, all right. Very good. Um, well, I'm, we're glad that you made it home from Oslo, uh, Chris Griggs. And, uh, again, apologies to, uh, misidentifying you and, uh, uh, let's move on, uh, with, uh, this sent in from a couple of our community members. Uh, let's see, Robert, not Robert Tucker, but Robert who lives in Tucker, Georgia, and also, uh, our Sonics driver, Mike Smith in Maynard, Massachusetts. Um, uh, Robert says, uh, we knew a retired gas guzzling mad dog would be called back up to experiment on how to squeeze. No, who knew 
A retired gas-guzzling mad dog would be called back up to experiment on how to squeeze more miles out of a tank of gas. And then uh, from Mike Smith, uh, after retirement, maybe you could become a test pilot. Who would be more qualified than you in this aircraft? Maybe they'll call it the badass dog. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but no, I'm going to be in my badass RV instead. So, But thanks for thinking about me. Uh, this uh, article is from Simple Flying. Uh, I think we kind of, didn't we talk about this a little bit on a previous show or maybe not? Maybe I just saw this and we had a quick discussion, but not on the show. Um, so Boeing and NASA will collaborate to modify a McDonnell Douglas MD-90 to test the transonic truss braced wing, the TTBW configuration with testing to uh, expected to begin in 2028. Hell, I probably will be dead by then. Uh, this is an important milestone for NASA's sustainable flight demonstrator project and a step towards achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions in uh, by 2050. We're going green. Eventually. We're going green. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's We're definitely going to work. <laughs> okay. And then we'll go um, back to oil. <laughs> After Having nobody let me fly. <laughs> okay, wait. I guess I need to hit this button. They can play it out. Okay. Uh, this is an important milestone for NASA's sustainable flight demonstrator project. Oh, I just said that. Uh, the TTBW design offers a larger wingspan and higher aspect ratio, potentially reducing fuel consumption by up to 30% compared to existing narrow-body aircraft. Such innovations could shape the Thinger air travel. <laughs> What is that word? The what? It just says T H E N G E R. The something uh, air travel future of passe. <laughs> what? I'm not understanding. Am I having a stroke? <laughs> is my wait, is wait, are both sides I of my face where, even? I lost where you were in the. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. After it's the summary, the third bullet point at the end of the sentence. Uh, uh, the the could shape such the, innovations could shape the. <laughs> You're not having a stroke. Okay, Whoever good. wrote this was having a stroke. <laughs> the future of air travel. I'll just no. I think they uh, asked Chat GPT to write their article <laughs> for. To do their homework for them. <laughs> yeah. And nobody, nobody looked at it before. Chat, they nobody read an article. That'll work. <laughs> Well, I, I'm just going to read it the way they wrote it. Such innovations could shape Thanger air travel future of passe. <laughs> <laughs> the money. Excellent. Well done. Uh, thank you. McDonnell Douglas, uh, A. McDonnell Douglas MD-90 has touched down in Palm. Oh, this is the, uh, never mind. For, forget that. Uh, there's a picture. Show, show the, That's a beautiful picture right there, Liz, that she's showing on the uh, on the. It's like a, uh, like a pterodactyl, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's a it's a nice looking pterodactyl, like a dinosaur. Uh, but but show the one how they messed <laughs> it up with this stu the stupid uh, truss. I mean, this looks worse to me. This doesn't even look no the no not uh, that one. The next one, the computer generated image. That yes. one. That one. Ugh, oh, man. Well, that's the that's the kind of whole point about it. You if they want to build a, a wing that's very high aspect ratio and you know, long and thin like a glider, so it will need a, a support. It'll need a like a Cessna one hundred and fifty does really. It's it going to like? need a support. That support can also be like um, a small lifting surface um, to increase the, the uh, lift. So you know the idea is that's the concept. That's what's going to give this huge. 
improvement in uh, fuel consumption. And of course, uh, look at the the wing of uh, uh, the Mad Dog. It's a really long, thin wing. So actually, it yeah, I think it's a great choice uh, uh, as a, an uh, experimental aircraft to see uh, what sort of improvement they can get. Put that spar right behind the exhaust for the uh, jet engine. We'll have to. Well, I a... don't know how they're going to configure it. It's not like they're going to stick at the move the wing very much. I, I feel think. like I feel like the E-flux goes over the top of that, and then Probably. obviously under the wing there. And I guess the the higher velocity of that E-flux over that surface there, in It'll a way, some lift as well. Yeah, okay. uh, some some lift producing. Um, I guess. Um, thing going on there but it's it's certainly funky it's weird uh weird looking yeah 30 percent uh, seems to be a bit of a reach but we'll see yeah, yeah. speaking of e-flux that, that just looking at that picture makes me want to have some e-flux all right exactly. um, but thank you both of you for uh, con- thinking about me but i'm okay i'm i'm uh i'm i'm, I'm good uh let's see this is from robert uh, Robert O, I no, think, maybe? No, no, it's Robert and Tucker again. Oh, that's Robert and Tucker. Okay. Uh, let's see. You guys graciously covered my audio feedback with photos back in uh, APG 485. Well, that was a long time ago. Uh, about my grandfather's World War II aviation relics included in this article was uh, article from the Albany, Georgia Herald, uh, where he happened to live in the same assisted living facility. This led me to research more recently when my cousin, who is in the Air Force now, was looking to find more info about the nose art that may have been on this plane. Mr. Tudor copied the newspaper article down on page 23 into his extensive newsletter attached here if anyone's interested. And uh, let's see. So there was some information. There's a newsletter here. I don't know. Did we get any uh, uh, no photos so no, from? Just because we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. They'll... Yeah, we'll put this in the show notes. Um, but it's a, a really interesting newsletter um, and some stories about the, I guess, the nose art on this um, on this airplane. Yep. Uh, I see a couple of examples of it. Okay. So thanks, Robert for sending that in and that'll be in the show notes and uh did i think he sent in some other is that it for uh roger feedback on this show liz i thought there was something else in there but I, i'm just doing Are a quick perusal Radio roger now no i'm just talking about uh, no i'm sorry i said roger i meant robert no that robert. was it for this one okay very good uh let's continue then oh that's what threw me off i saw radio roger and that's what my brain said to Send to my mouth. Uh, this piece of feedback uh, from Radio Roger. When history repeats itself, and this is, uh, he's addressing this to Captain Nick. As soon as I heard your fantastic plane tale, when history repeats itself about problems with the McDonnell Douglas DC 10, I immediately wanted to leave feedback. I don't know if you realize how insightful your comparison of the DC 10 to the Boeing 737 MAX is. Some have said that one of the factors in the MAX debacle was that Boeing's safety at all costs corporate culture was infected by McDonnell Douglas's less admirable culture after the two companies merged. I don't know if that's accurate, but it sounds plausible. The reckless development of the MAX is an aberration from Boeing's tradition of responsible design and manufacturing. Cheers. Roger, Radio Roger Stern. Um, so uh, that was a nice little note uh, to you. Oh, it Captain. was. And thank you very much, Roger, for uh, that. Very kind of you. Um, 
I, I mean, I wasn't the first to come up with that comparison between the two incidents. Uh, but, you know, and when you read the subject and you, you delve into it, you can find all sorts of uh, opinions. And that was one opinion that I latched onto. But um, I would just say that, you know, there's 40 years between these two incidents. Uh, and uh, I think the culture in McDonnell Douglas probably had changed. After all, they'd gone through, I suspect, several generations of uh, the hierarchy of the company because um, they do tend to move on relatively quickly. So, um, uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of people didn't like the idea that uh, um, the McDonnell Douglas um, head honchos uh, sort of came in and moved the head office away from its traditional place right on the sort of uh, workshop floor there in Seattle and moved it down to Chicago, I think. Um, and the, that separation uh, took away a lot of the interaction between the bosses of the company and the workforce who were actually doing it and the guys who, who could see because it's their job as as highly trained engineers, where potential problems were coming, they weren't getting that direct access to the guys that made the big decisions. Um, yeah, that obviously was a problem. Whether it uh, was a continuation of the problem that had infected McDonnell Douglas back there 40 years earlier, I think that's a bit of a stretch, but I see exactly where you're coming from. So I understand that entirely. And thanks very much for the feedback. No, that 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 thing you just mentioned now, Captain Nick, makes makes a lot of sense. I just reread Joe Sutter's um, autobiography, and uh, he was talking about uh, how when the seven forty seven was in the project, the planning stages of it, it was it was. Uh, and I apologize, my dogs are. No, that's part of the audience. Oh, we love it. Yeah, the seven forty-seven was <laughs> the seven forty-seven was going to be. It was it was being um, the idea was being floated to have the seven forty-seven be built in California instead of um, uh, Seattle when they were looking for a place to to set up uh, shop. And uh, Joe Sutter was a, a huge proponent of keeping the uh, the seven forty-seven uh, assembly plant uh, local. Because that way, um, you could have the engineers and management, and everything kind of co-located, and 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 solve problems um, in a more streamlined uh, uh, manner. And so it, it makes it makes total sense, uh, uh, Nick, what, what you said. And uh, and it's 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 no secret uh, that uh, and everybody that that knows a little bit about the issue about the situation knows that there is a Boeing pre McDonnell Douglas. And post McDonnell Douglas, and um, and uh, I, it's, I mean that's why I think in 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 my opinion, um, the the last great Boeing ever built was the triple seven because, uh, you know, th this this the triple seven was built and and, and entered service at what ninety four and then ninety five, and then after that you start uh, getting into um, manufacturing issues, uh, certification issues, and all sorts of problems. Um, where there seems to be a disconnect between management and the daily operations at the at the various um, um, plants um, around the country. Um, I'm so yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and there are a lot of other questions brought up, and uh, one of the recurrent ones 
was uh, FAA oversight. Um, you know, it, it's it's fascinating that you're in a country that is so rich and powerful, and yet there are a lot of people who don't want to invest in government organizations, and I can understand that to, to a certain extent. Um, but the FAA is ultimately a government organization, and if you don't fund them correctly and allow the expertise in there to be uh, sufficiently paid and numerous enough to inspect aircraft manufacturing processes um, into the fine detail, um, you're going to end up with a situation where you're asking uh, employees of a company to check their own company. Uh, there's no independent check unless you get those certification uh, experts in there um, looking at individual manufacturers, all of them, uh, mm -hmm. when they produce new aircraft to come up with an independent uh, opinion on whether uh, what they're doing is uh, correct and safe, uh, asking your employees to do that on behalf of uh, the FAA, to me, seems like, uh, uh, well, you know, is sort of this area of difficulty. It's kind of a conflict of interest. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, that's always been a criticism, you know. For, it's kind of well, a, it's, it's hard it, it's going to be a very big organization if if you know you have to put people in to inspect every department of an enormous uh, company like Boeing yeah okay um thanks again radio Roger I don't know if he's still yeah, with us in the live audience yeah, but well, uh, thank you yeah all right and uh let's move to item seven I want to make sure we get this before uh Miami Rick leads us I just thought it was kind of a Interesting story. Um, this is from Merle. Uh, drones made of cardboard. Uh, the clip source is from theconversation.com. Um, Ukraine war. Australian-made cardboard drones used to attack Russian airfields show how innovation is key to modern air, uh, warfare. Uh, innovative design choices can have a massive impact on the theater of war, so it's important to understand the principles behind their development. Recent use of low-cost cardboard drones by Ukraine supplied by Australia to attack targets in Russia is a good example of how this can work. Australia has been supplying Ukraine with 100 of the drones per month from March this year as part of an aid package deal worth an estimated 15.7 million pounds following an agreement struck in July 2021, according to the Australian Army Defense Innovation Hub. Emerging technologies tend to override current technologies, and in turn, this generates competitive counter-technologies. This, this circular relationship driven by innovation is awfully, often critical in warfare as it can provide key technological advances. Um, let's see, let's get back to the drones thing. Conflicts in the future will be particularly shaped by drones, which will have implications for international relations, security, and defense. Uh, the Australian firm SIPAC, an engineering and solutions company founded in 1992, created the Corvo Precision Payload Delivery System, the PPDS, for use in military law enforcement, border security, and emergency services, uh, as well as food security, uh, asset inspection, and search and rescue. Uh, Ukrainian forces reportedly used the PDDS cardboard drones in an attack on an airfield in Kursk Oblast, in western Russia on August 27. This attack damaged a MiG-29 and four Su-30 fighter jets to Pantsir, 
uh, anti-aircraft missile launchers, uh, gun systems, and an S-300 air surface-to-air air surface-to-air missile defense system. Hmm. Anyway, um, so I thought it was a pretty innovative uh, use of cardboard, and in fact, so much so that um, I've decided, uh, here I need to do this, uh, I've decided to go ahead and uh, contact them. I have a bunch of cardboard here <laughs> in my studio. Could that be a I lucrative need. side business for you. <laughs> uh, retirement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got, your, got your side gig there, Jeff? Is that you, <laughs> you, could, uh, you could build a couple of tanks out of that. The problem oh, is he spent so. so much on Amazon stuff. Uh, it's, it's all an Amazon box. <laughs> I just wanted to have fun with that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if they do have some kind of a relationship with uh, uh, UPS and, and uh, Amazon. With these, uh, all you, can, you can clearly you can clearly tell those things are designed by Airbus. Um, they look like Airbuses to me. <laughs> oh no! No, I, no that, that's <laughs> definitely shorts. a Boeing. It, yeah. It's very reminiscent of the seven forty seven. Now I come to think, <laughs> very, look at look at that nose. The, the nose looks like yeah. the shorts. Yeah, yeah. 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 Rick that's doesn't doesn't know about my BS flag. <laughs> <laughs> you see what it says on it, Rick? Uh, no, he can't. Thank God. No. Oh, there we go. Ah, <laughs> BS. I got this from A320 it. Matt. I said, oh, thank you so much. I know what I'm going to use Once this for. Boeing <laughs> begins with B. You should use a Boeing flag. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a an Airbus letter opener. I only use that to open uh, bills. <laughs> oh. Neil Lanwarm has a great comment. Neil Lanwarm in our again, live audience. Boeing bills. Better. Uh, pre- uh, p- Perun on YouTube has an excellent channel covering the Ukraine war. The latest video covers the air war. This drone is discussed. Uh, The cardboard dramatically reduces the radar signature of the drone. Yeah, probably eliminates it, right? Except for that. They use waxed cardboard so it doesn't get too wet when it goes flying. Brilliant. That is brilliant. I see our tax dollars are going to get used there. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, the Australian tax dollars, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we'll probably paying for it somehow. Yeah, we always are. Well, All right, guys. So, you, thank you very Join much. Us. I'm sure the Aussies appreciate your generous offer. Well, we appreciate them. All right, so guys. Yeah, it looks no, like- no, no, no. Rick, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, hey, it looks like uh, it's time for Rick to go. He's got an appointment, uh, that uh, an important uh, appointment there at home. So, thanks so much for taking the time out to uh, join us, Rick. We really missed you. You got it, guys, and we'll be in touch. And when you, you and I need to talk about uh, setting up a uh, a uh, a go kit here to make this happen, absolutely, right? we'll do yeah. that. Don't and yeah, it. make sure and don't shut again, the, right? the browser window. Uh, just uh, no, until you you, it says that your your files uploaded. Okay, I'll leave it going. All right, guys, have All a right. great great rest Bye. of the show. Bye. Thank Bye. you very much, sir. Bye. All right, uh, let's oh, see here. Now he's gone. No, he's gone. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, James Graves Brown, uh, sent this to us from one mile at a time.com. Uh, he says, I absolutely love this idea. Well, what idea does James Graves Brown love? Well, Corundon, is that how you pronounce that? Corundon, I think. Corundon? Sure. Corundon? Corundon. Uh, come on. Corundon? Uh, that's a, or that's not a, uh, Corundon? is that a, uh, it's Dutch, n- Dutch a carrier. Okay. Um, so they add a, a three, an A350 adults-only seating zone. 
Uh, he's uh, this article sounds says, like a fun time. What are we doing? The yeah. adults only zone. Well, I'm not sure if it's that much fun, oh. but uh, this is a pretty innovative concept, which I think many people would be happy to see spread to the other airlines. Uh, leisure carrier Corandon Airlines will start flying between Amsterdam and Curacao as of November 2023 using an Airbus A350-900 that's being leased from Spanish charter carrier World 2 Fly. That's World uh, numeral 2 and then FLY. The plane has 432 seats. Wow, that's a lot of seats. And is in an all-economy configuration. Look uh, how thin those seats are. I know. So Amsterdam so to Curacao, that sounds unpleasant in those seats. Very, like a lo- very long, long time. Yeah. Uh, with, its, with this new long haul service, the airline is trialing a new concept. Specifically, they're introducing an adults only zone on board its flights for those 16 years of age and older. As the airline describes it, this is intended for travelers without children and for business travelers who want to work in a quiet environment. The airline argues uh, also argues that this will have a positive impact for parents with children as they don't have to worry about disturbing others as much. Uh, how does this concept work? Work Well, the forward cabin on the A350-900 between doors one and two will be designated seating area for adults. This consists of a total of 102 seats, including nine extra legroom seats and 93 standard seats. As you might expect, there's a fee to sit in this space. The cost is 45 euros one way to sit in the adult zone in a standard seat and 100 euros one way to sit in the adult zone in an extra legroom seat. Uh, here's how uh, Atelier Uslu, founder of Corandon Airlines, described this, describes this initiative. Quote, on board our flights, we always strive to respond to the different needs of our customers. We are also the first Dutch airline to introduce the only adult zone because we cater trying to appeal to travelers looking for some extra peace of mind during their flight. We also believe that this uh, can have a positive effect on parents traveling with small children. They can enjoy the flight without worrying if their children make more noise. Now, I'd like to pose, uh, pose this question. Why couldn't the person writing this article just have put this quote there and then I wouldn't have had to say it basically twice? <laughs> uh, this is how uh, all news articles are written these days. I know. I don't like yeah, it. You, we thought you'd got the idea by now, Jeff. But okay, I, I, I still haven't figured it out. We have a good comment here in our live audience uh, from Tim Tim Van Ram. When those Dutch kids kick the back of the seat with those wooden shoes, it's a real issue. No wonder they have adults only. <laughs> well, you see. Very oh, good. Man. I like that. Yeah. And and they're they're sticking their finger in the dikes as well. Um, in between so, the seats. It's like a makeshift makeshift at dike. At least, yeah. I don't know where the, the dikes sit. Um so <laughs> and Neil is 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 playing along as well. Four hundred and thirty two seats. That cabin is really clogged. Clogged. <laughs> oh god. Oh god. Wait a minute, let me play the rim shot. I know it's a little bit late. That that was love it, love yes, it, love it. Perfect. Mm. What a bunch of comedians in there in our live audience. Indeed. Oh man, I'm here for it. Um, um, yeah, I guess you know. So I have two thoughts on this, real quick. Um, mm-hmm. On a long flight like that, and on such a large aircraft, if you are trying to, I don't know, do work of some sort on your vacation to Curacao, um, and you would like to be away from families and children who are on their vacations. Um, sure. But I don't think 45 euros is 
unreasonable to give yourself more distance in space. Um, I think it probably only works on large aircraft because on smaller aircraft, you're going to hear those kids screaming and yelling no matter what. Um, maybe you won't be kicked by their wooden clogs, but it's not going to help with the noise factor on that. a smaller <laughs> aircraft. Um, uh, and 16-year-olds uh, aren't really adults, and they're quite likely to be making as much noise as Three-year-olds, 21-year-olds who are getting beverages on the flight are not adults. Oh, either. God. So. Yes, let's not go there. Have you seen the size uh, and, uh, of the, the shoes, the clogs of those 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds? <laughs> Listen, if we're drinking out of the clogs, I'm all for it. <laughs> <Let's>... yeah. <laughs> okay. And bear in mind, paying an extra 100 for those front seats, uh, for a start, you're right by the toilets. And they say so you got people queuing right mm. beside you queuing for the lose. you got all the stinky smells every time someone opens mm. a door. Uh, it really is a, a, a lousy position. You'll have a bulkhead in front, whereas normally you can put your feet under the seat ahead. Um, now you've got a, a flat bulkhead. So often the leg room is less usable than you would think. And in addition, any um, if your hand luggage that you might put under the seat in front now that's no, no longer available uh, so unless you get it in the overhead lockers what are you going to do with that I mean there are lots of uh, disadvantages in having seats uh, like they have suggested they're right at the front of the cabin um, and you're going to pay a lot of extra money and you may find when you get there that it's less convenient than an ordinary seat good point mm-hmm I kind of met. Would there be a lot of businessmen flying between so. Amsterdam and Curacao? Well, it is part Maybe? of the Netherlands. That was part of the my sarcastic questioning. Yeah, if you just have to get your work done and have to be away from kids on your vacation to Curacao. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. Some of us are multitaskers, or you know, yeah. we we. Cram all of our well, if, you, if you're going to take your laptop and work on the way to your holiday, <laughs> that's a bit of a worry. <laughs> okay, let's go all to right. Nige now. Okay, well, let's go to the next one uh, from our good good friend, uh, Nigel, in, uh, in the UK. And uh, he sent us some audio feedback, and uh, this will be fun. Here we go. Hello, ABG Goo. This is Hong Kong Nigel. Just thought I'd uh, like to give you a little accuracy update check. Uh, first of all, I apologise for the rubbish quality of this. Somebody nicked my microphone lead when they were recording 577, so I'm definitely on standby equipment. Okay, accuracy check. Captain Nick in APG 581, he's referring to... Gillian the Sicilian and Decimamanu and Sicily. Gillian the Sicilian, she calls herself. Uh, and this is an interesting one. Here's what I like about Captain Nick and the rest of the APG crew. But she starts off with Nick because I think that he's her favorite. Because I think that he's her favorite. His commentary is always spot on. Wow. Oh, nice. Very nice. I like this lady. I like this lady. I like this lady. I like this lady. <laughs> we love you and I we love everybody to fly out there. I used Sicily quite often oh, yeah? when I was in the Air Force. Hmm. We used to uh, fly out of Decimamana uh, in, in Sicily. Always loved it. His commentary is always spot on. <laughs> we used to uh, fly out of Decimamana uh, in, in Sicily. 
He said the Decimamanu is in Sicily. That's the best I can do, by the way. Decimamanu is in Sardinia. And if uh, Miss Liz is putting up the slides, for those that you can see, Sardinia is an island located south of Corsica, south of France, and it's uh, orientated north-south. Sicily is further to the southeast and is orientated vaguely How long do I have to sit and if listen to this drivel? You can see they are about <laughs> the same side. But Nick, if you're looking for Gillian the Sicilian, don't look for her at Gigi Mamanu. And please don't bomb or shoot Sicily. Finally, <laughs> Captain Nick, I'm going to ask you right now to clear up that other little thing about the difference between four planes and canards that you mentioned in ABG 582. This is Hong Kong Nigel signing off. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Nigel and I have had a long discussion on four planes and canards. Have you? Uh, Interesting. Yes, indeed, Uh, because I think we were both led astray by a uh, current Royal Air Force uh, flight lieutenant who is a uh, wonderful typhoon pilot who uh, gave us the Duff Gen in the first place, uh, in that he defined a four-plane as being like a canard, but they move independently, mm-hmm. uh, whereas a canard uh, is either fixed or moves together. Uh, it turns out that that's, a, that's, if you look at all the um, definitions around the aviation world, that's probably not an accurate statement. So uh, all I can say is that uh, four planes and canards are usually interchangeable and they're just different names for the same things. They don't necessarily oh. have to move independently or otherwise. So um, uh, there you go. Uh, if the typhoon pilots want to call them four planes, they're free to. But they could also call them canards if they wanted to. So basically the bottom line is don't trust uh, typhoon pilots. With any, no, don't, no, no, certainly not with your wallet or your wife <laughs> <laughs> or your map. <laughs> All yeah, right, or your map. Oh, by the way, I would like to point out that mm. uh, when I was uh, given the location that I'd landed in Dechimamani, it was by a navigator because that's why we had them. We had navigators in the back seat. They they navigated for us. So when the bloke told me we we're in Sicily, I, I took him at face value. There's another mistake I made. Oh, yeah. And I have to say, I've, I see a little picture of the two islands overlaid. You know, if you didn't know, I mean, they look very similar. They're blobs in the sea. What do you, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking I'm going to get him started playing the um, Wordle game. It's like Wordle, if you're familiar with it. But all they do is they uh, yeah, an do. outline of a country. Mm. But with like no size reference. Oh, ah, it's actually yeah, quite difficult. challenging. Yeah, very, very. That would be very challenging. Yes. Yeah, and in, indeed. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and I, I would like to point out that uh, Nigel had the additional um, technology of a moving map display wherever he went, whereas uh, in the Phantom we had a piece of paper to look at. So it wasn't always very convenient. Sounds like a bunch of excuses to me. Yeah, me too. Well, that's, yeah, I would agree. I have perfect <laughs> excuses, excellent excuses, yes. Lame excuses. And as for where his mic lead is, I now couldn't give a toss. <laughs> <laughs>
When he put, put first put in there, I think, what is he talking about? What's a mic lead? And then when you said XLR cable, I went, oh, okay. Now I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks, Nige. I think it's the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah get lost. Let's go to number 10 here. I've oh. Steffi's commentary on this. Okay. One. We're going to skip to item number 10. Uh, this is from, uh, is this also Who's Rico? Rico? The same Rico that was ironing, I think. I, think. So. I believe Yeah, so. Pilot Rico. Okay, cool. Um, he says, I've attached an audio feedback on the subject of the Twin Otter steering system. Um, all the best, Pilot Rico. So here we go. Let's uh, hear what he has to say about that. Hello, APG crew and community. This is Pilot Rico recording from my car, uh, halfway my commute from uh, Rotterdam Airport towards my home. I was listening to the APG episode, the last one where the Twin Otter accident in St. Bart's was discussed. And I thought I uh, I respond to this with uh, some knowledge on the how the nosal steering system actually works. Uh, first of all, it's a hydraulically actuated nose wheel steering system with a tiller on the left-hand side attached to the left-hand yoke. Uh, as Els Piloto mentioned, um, he said if you hit the tiller, you might knock it out of its position. I've not actually heard of incidents like this, but I can see where the story comes from. Um, but first of all, about the steering system, it's, it's very efficient. Uh, it is an, a twin otter has a very short wheelbase and a very large uh, nose wheel deflection angle. Um, so at low speeds, you can actually make very, very tight turns easily. Um, it's not recommended at all to use this at high speeds because um, first of all the airplane is very well controllable with uh, on a straight line with uh, rudder steering unless you have a strong tailwind and then you can use a little bit of differential braking or a little bit of differential uh, thrust or maybe going to beta a little bit with your propellers to control the airplane. There's, there's no need on a straight line to use uh, the nosal steering tiller and it's not recommended. During takeoff run, um, again, you do this without using the steering tiller, unless you have a very strong crosswind, you might use the steering wheel tiller a little bit to start the takeoff run. But as soon as you have gained a few knots of airspeed, you should control the airplane with rudder and with your, um, yeah, actually just with the rudder should be enough. Then after liftoff, when the nose wheel strut extends and it's properly centered, um, it should catch in a centering lock. And once the centering lock is in position, the nose wheel cannot, can no longer steer. Um, it, it's a simple mechanical system where the strut extends, it catches and is locked into the center position. There's just one little problem if it's not locked, or sorry, if the nose wheel steering is not centered, it will not catch the lock. Um, this can still be corrected and it's done uh, in the after takeoff checklist. You check if the nose wheel steering tiller is centered by grabbing the handle and you move it up and down. And if you can move it, it's not centered. So you move it through the center position until it's locked into place. Uh, if you don't do this, um, the aerodynamic forces will gradually push the nose wheel hard over to either the left or the right hand side 
which causes a lot of aerodynamic drag to start with. Um, but you should notice it during the cruise because it's very obvious the nose wheel steering tailor would stand straight up if it's to the right or and then it's in front of your instrument panel uh, or it goes down and it hits your knee when it goes to the left so it should be obvious but then you might still miss that there's a third opportunity to notice it because the after uh, sorry, the before landing checklist also mentions the nozzle steering tiller and you should check if it's locked in the center position. Um, if you have not corrected this system by now and you touch down with the nose wheel in a hard over position, either to the left or the right, well, good luck because there's no way you can keep the airplane centered on the runway or on the runway at all. It's just going off the runway. Um, there's, there's no other way around it. So this might have happened. I don't know. I didn't watch the video. I just listened to the audio feedback. The other issues that were mentioned were propeller problems. I've had some propeller problems with the Twin Otter. Um, I've had a situation where I was in reverse and only one propeller went into reverse and the other one decided to auto feather. Um, I was able to control the airplane fine with just rudder and maybe a little bit differential braking. It was a, almost a non-event. Um, so I, I, I doubt this was an issue at all, but the nose wheel steering tiller hard over, that's very plausible in my opinion. But we'll have to find out until we hear the final report. Um, I'm gonna continue my journey back home I hope uh, you enjoyed the feedback. I certainly enjoy your episodes. Keep doing those. And thank you. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pilot Rico. Uh, great feedback. And I'm so nice to get feedback from our community when we talk about things that we don't really know anything about and uh, and our expert on the twin otter <laughs> i wasn't here is, i was absent which is most every, yeah uh, but <laughs> steph wasn't here and we did we went ahead and uh, probably shouldn't have but we went ahead and covered that news item anyway and in the video by the way rico um you would not have been able to the, the angle that they were showing of this thing you, plowing into the helicopter there was no way to tell. see what they yeah. did in the uh, initial part of the uh of the touchdown yeah. uh, part of it but Okay, yeah, go ahead, you, Steph. You, well, you can't tell. Um, you know, I think the the nose wheel hard over is is a plausible, um, and everything that Rico said is is one hundred percent accurate. It sounds like he's got plenty of twin otter time. Um, you know, other um, stuff like this happens. You kind of go into back into the books a little bit just to to refresh your memory on everything as well. The only other thing um, I was thinking about, um, you know, he mentioned that the uh, nose wheel steering actuator through the tiller is hydraulically actuated. Um, so one thought that was brought up to me was what if you lose hydraulic pressure, um, would that cause you to have nose wheel steering malfunction on landing? Well, if you lose the hydraulic system uh, in flight, the nose wheel actually locks in place hydraulically in the position that was in uh, at the time that the pressure was lost. So even if that happened, that shouldn't have been an issue. Um, your brakes are also hydraulic. Your flaps are also hydraulic. So um, lots of hydraulic things happening there that are important on landing. Um, the, the only other uh, things that this kind of reminded me of a little bit, um, kind of going back to the hydraulic system, and then I kind of wanted to mention these incidents with the Twin Otter are actually um, much more common on uh, initial startup. 
Um, it's not uncommon for the um, hydraulic system um, uh, circuit breaker to be pulled during maintenance events sometimes. And there have been instances where people have started up uh, the aircraft and not had any hydraulic pressure, which means they have no nose wheel steering, they have no brakes, um, and they've plowed into things. There have been a couple of high-profile um, incidents with with that occurring. Um, that shouldn't be the case on on landing um, for all the reasons that Rico mentioned, especially at higher speeds. The rudder on the Twin Otter is huge for the size of the airplane, and you have a lot of rudder authority, even at relatively low speeds. Um, you know, for instance, when we're flying the Otter and we we touch down, um, it's not uncommon to. You don't touch the tiller until you're at very, very low speed until you're taxiing. Um, it was the way it was taught to me when I was first getting checked out or first flying the aircraft was the tiller is for taxi. But truly, if you're not going at very low speed, don't touch it because it will take you right off whatever surface you're on if you're trying to go at higher speeds. Um, it's very sensitive. You have like you have 60 degrees of steering on either side of center with the nose wheel, um, and it's very touchy. So a little bit of um, input on that tiller uh, starts to equate to a lot of movement very quickly. And Liz, I think, was showing the picture I pulled from the manual there. Sorry, I didn't have my own picture in color, but I thought it'd be helpful for people to see what it looks like. I think and that you can actually see back in mm -hmm. 1923 or something. I think. It's an, it's a, uh, yeah, the aircraft design is uh, not recent. <laughs> it's, I'm trying to work out how you get your hand past the yoke to get at the tiller. I mean, if you're trying to move the yoke and the tiller at the same time, yeah, life it, must get very complicated. It looks like it just so, your, your fingertips there on the other side of the... You can a little bit, um, but, it, you know, when you're... So typically, so your um, your power levers are up high. So you have that with your... If you're in the left seat and you're using the tiller, your hands... Right hand is on the um, power controls and you can use differential thrust to help with steering a bit and... Um, Typically, all you're doing in that case is just bumping a little bit the tiller up and down. So I tend to use just kind of near the, not the palm of my hand, but kind of right by where my uh, fingers are here, just to bump up or down a little bit because it takes very little input to move a lot. Um, and once you're lined up on the runway center, center line, as soon as you can get some airflow moving over the rudder, even just a, as you're pushing the power up, you go to rudder control to maintain center line you're not using the tiller at all and you can see there on the top of the the yoke or the steering column um, that line that they've drawn there that's the center mark okay so that's how you know if it's centered or not so in i know it's just um you know we're, we're not sure because we don't have really any of the facts of what actually happened here but uh, what, what's your feeling about what the most likely thing that happened so other in, uh, other incidents that have occurred, especially um, in uh, situations where it's lower time otter pilots, uh, as I was saying, the rudder has a lot of authority and it um, can be tricky in gusty crosswinds. Uh, if you're not ready to be on the rudder at touchdown and maintain centerline control, that was a thought, but I would expect that these pilots had sufficient experience, especially where they're flying. Um, and I don't think the winds were really that strong. I don't think at all. the winds were a factor. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't remember exactly what they were, um, but they, they were, were well like off. Of, they were knots. well off of where the runway was. So the, you know, the uh, something with the nose wheel, wheel steering having gone awry sounds plausible. Yeah, that's, that's it. Really does like would yeah. be probably the most yeah. likely. Okay, very good. Um, 
We're going to go ahead and uh, this next item will be our last before we wrap up the show. And it was uh, sent to us from Dominic. And uh, it involves a a, a gender reveal uh, that kind of went went all awry. Yeah, here we go. We're going to take a look at this. So we're watching the happy couple about to find out whether it's a boy or a girl. And... Okay, so the ag plane, a um, Piper Pawnee, um, dropped its load of uh, white, uh, I mean, not white, uh, pink, dark, or bright pink dyed water. So, hey, guess what? It was a girl, and everybody's screaming, and it's not because they're really happy about the revelation that it's a girl, it's because they're looking at the airplane that just dropped its load of water and has done a very, very hard pull-up, and the left wing has broken. Let's uh, play it again. Yeah, so we'll play it again. I think the couple, the happy couple here, probably, I think everybody's just like screaming because of the gender yeah reveal. i don't i don't think they noticed i mean you go back and they're just embracing so they Except for the person that happened. did this video he he knows oh yeah <laughs> or she knows oh, yeah. whoever it was oh, yeah. yeah again we'll, we'll see this uh yes this was in mexico in fact i had uh i planned to do a, a really fancy um effect uh see if i can still do it um let's see share my screen and uh, probably will blow this completely because um, I, I just wasn't thinking about it until just this moment. Yeah, of course. The, uh, th- the thing that I had it all set up on is not even loaded, <laughs> the, <laughs> the app. <laughs> but it was a, like a Sinolia or something like that. Um, in um, Sinaloa. Sinaloa, okay. Um, on the, uh, the main Mexican... Um, on the continent, not the uh, not Baja California, but close to the Gulf of California, and um, north of Mexico City, I believe. Um, anyway, and the other thing I wanted to do was um, mention that um, I was doing a little bit of research on this, and I uh, was trying to. I was just thinking to myself that this. This must be something that uh, has. Uh, oh, that was the Google Earth thing that I was going to do there. Um, uh, shoot, man, I'm not prepared well at all. Anyway, I did a uh, a search in in uh, on, on Google for Google Images of uh, hoping to get some more uh, pictures uh, regarding the plane crash here, the uh, Pawnee, and uh, it was like page after page of photos of mostly ag planes but some other uh, ga airplanes uh that had had crashed uh, when they were doing a gender reveal um and and so it it turns really? out really yeah. really i hadn't heard of any i know so here while you're while you two are talking about things uh why well, don't you all uh, i was really gonna say about this incident was that this aircraft is doing pretty much what it does in a day-to-day work job. He's mm-hmm. flying straight and level. Uh, he's dumping his load, uh, uh, you know, of this case water, a color water, and then he's pulling up in order to reposition, if he was doing it in in a traditional um, maneuver to reposition on a field, 
He pulls up, does a wing over, comes back down again, levels off. Uh, I, I don't see that being a particularly unusually hard pull-up. And, and I see during the pull-up, his left wing uh, just folds. The spar breaks and the wing folds. And that's it. He's uh, he's doomed. The poor pilot dies. So um, I, I can see why this might be fun. Uh, I can see why an ag pilot should be capable of doing it because it's it's not a particularly difficult maneuver compared with what he does all day, every day. I'm, I'm just amazed that it seems to be linked with a lot of incidents. Um, any ideas, Jeff? Yeah, um, trying to. So here, here's an interesting. So here's like an example okay. um, of uh, now. Of course, the first several of these is uh, regarding the uh, the one that uh, we just watched the video of it, but uh, there are um, so, some others here as well uh, that involved um, wow. ag planes. Um, and there's a video of this one. Uh, looks like a some kind of a high wing Cessna that goes straight down into the water. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but I was looking at some of these ag, you know, like the Pawnee-like uh, ag planes, and, um, and and I'm thinking, oh, well, I thought that was a different color. And then sure enough, it turns out that like this one here that's yellow, plane crashes after pilot drops hundreds of gallons of whatever. Um, so the, the, the original search that I did uh, had several more of these things, and I went, oh, well, I guess this is not that unusual um, for wow. these things. But so I will say that I think, you know, you mentioned that this is, this seems to be the kind of activity that it would be normal for an, uh, for a crop duster. Um, although I think what this person's doing is uh, doing what they call an emergency dump, which is letting all of it go all at once. Not in a controlled, not, yeah. gradual fashion where you're getting uh, you're getting a big change in cg at the same time as you're ah that, so and that also might have caused an additional pitch up yes it's a, like a, an, an additional it's almost like power steering with the pull-up so maybe he was used to a certain amount of back pressure to uh, you know nose up the airplane and climb out and uh didn't realize that doing the dropping all 150 gallons or whatever however many gallons of it it was would actually be additive uh, to that. That's part of the problem. And also we don't know, it could be that, uh, this airplane maybe wasn't well-maintained and maybe the, uh, the strut, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean the, uh, wings bar, many... uh, uh, bolts may have been corroded or something, you know, over time. Yeah. 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 Especially if it's yeah. being subjected to those kinds of repetitive stresses. Exactly. But, uh, Interesting. wow. Talking about it. What... Bummer, you know, for the people that are there oh, for yeah, this happy absolutely. occasion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just go back to simpler times where it's just a surprise. You're having a baby. Right. What's wrong with <laughs> that? You're at the hospital. It comes out and you go, hey, it's a girl. <laughs> Buy and then some you send green out, and yellow things and, you know, it's, it's send all Send out a nice little card to everybody. Difference. You know, hey, it's it's a girl. <laughs> you know, like simpler times. You're right. What stuff. sex do you need for a green yellow thing? Um, so any. That's That was the point. Could be all, all the sexes. Uh, what do you mean? No, I'm confused. What do you, what, I don't know what <laughs> no, makes I don't want to get into gender identity <laughs> here, but we're talking about a baby yeah. who yeah. who has no concept. We're just right. Buy it okay. whatever color you want. It doesn't matter. Well, okay. I, but uh, what's the green, yellow? Right. I don't get that. Well, yeah, yeah, neither do I. No, so I mean, maybe this was more my generation thing, but people this, are like, oh, if I don't know what like... gender baby you're having, I don't know what type of 
you know, clothes or outfits to like just something that could be used by anybody. I think this is a, a potential quicksand here. I Jeff, let's, uh, we should probably yeah. back yeah. out of this. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. It, it, yeah. Well, obviously, uh, Man Micah has the answer to the uh, the, the green and yellow thing because it obviously, <laughs> no, it's a boy because they combine to make blue, right? Oh. Anyway, oh, my, my comment was not meant to be anything other than it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and yeah, Tim Van Ram, it's a frog. Yeah. That's that's Tim Van Ram for you right there. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Hey, okay. Okay. We're going to wrap it up. Because uh, it's just rapidly uh, going downhill. Disintegrating. Yes, it is very much so. Okay. Yeah, and Nick needs to get to bed. It's late over there. Uh, Need to eat. Sleep for me too. It's my bedtime. Yeah, it's almost (laughs) my bedtime. Um, Okay. So uh, with that, we're going to uh, point you over to our website, airlinepilotguy.com. Lots of good stuff there. You can find out about the crew and the community and so much more. Again, that's airlinepilotguy.com. And we also are on the social meds. Head on over to Facebook, facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy. Also on Twitter, X. I feel like I'm all screwed up now on my- Twixter. Over <laughs> to Twixter. I don't know. Uh, you know what it is. If you've been there, you know, for- Years and years, it's still the same kind of platform. Uh, we're still at APG Crew, and we still have our individual uh, handles pinned to the top of that page, as far as I know. Uh, you can also check out all of Nick's wonderful, lovely artwork on Instagram, where we are also APG Crew. Um, for some in-depth community uh, shenanigans, I would point you over towards Slack, and hopefully Hillel is um, in his usual post-show well, location. I guess we're going to have to find out. Ah, I do. I do hear more and more water running in my apartment. Yeah, what are your water bills like? Uh, pretty high. H- Hillel, can, can you uh, can you do the Slack thing? Okay, from there. Okay, let me turn your mic up. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. He, he gets excited uh, over the, the littlest things, you know? That's he's awesome. stealing your soap and thinks yeah, it's Yeah, but I stole the soap from all these different hotels over the years. So <laughs> oh, it's okay. so you're the thief. <laughs> I am, I think. <laughs> um, also, uh, you'll you'll have to, if you're watching the video, uh, right above Steph's, um, let's see, left, left ear. Um, shoulder is a QR code. And uh, Liz, if you can put, put up the, the big one uh, that we have in the, uh, in the slides. Here we go. Okay. Made a, um, a QR code for those of you who are into this kind of technology and you can just point your phone at it 
and uh, it will uh, automatically open up your email program and have it already addressed to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. So that's another way to send us some feedback if you'd like. And if you uh, want to attach some audio to that, that's uh, that's perfectly fine. In fact, we'd prefer that. That's uh, a great way. We love hearing your voices. So again, that's uh, just a little ex- extra thing there to help you out. Send us some feedback uh, by scanning that QR code. Let us know wow, if that works, works. for us. Yeah. Don't I'm you send it. us I'm feedback, trying. Nick. We already, I'm you know. Really? Although I comes like up a bit extra. What does it oh, say wow. for you, Liz? I mean, for Steph. Jeff Nielsen. And then it took me to my Jeff email. Nielsen? Uh-huh. Is it, oh, because the address that's associated with feedback uh, says Jeff Nielsen? I don't know. That's what it said when, it, when I went to click on the, oh. you know, when you do the QR code thing yeah. and you go to click on it, it said your name. Oh, well, I don't know how that happened. I didn't set it up you're to do that. You're the creator. <laughs> because you're the creator. Uh, mine mine yeah. says feedback. Okay. Yeah, mine might well, the email back. does, but I'll, I'll send you a, a screenshot. Yeah, show me what it does there. I didn't do that when I when I tested it out. But uh, anyway, um, just having fun with, uh, with technology. And um, yeah, so thanks again, Steph, for, for joining us. Um, again, we missed you. It was nice having Rick with us. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Camacho couldn't make it this week because he's uh, very busy with his work and family and all the other stuff that he's uh, doing in his life. And uh, But we're glad that all of you were able to make it in our live audience. We do appreciate it so much. And, of course, we'd li- also like to uh, a big shout-out, a big thank you to Liz, our producer. Hey, well done, Liz. Thank you very My much. My pleasure. Lots of uh, work in the background and, uh, and you know, Always, always nice to have you there, guiding us through all the uh, all the troubled waters. And with that, we're going to go ahead and end it for this week's episode. Hope to see you next week, and uh, wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. See you next time. And as Nigel said, bye. 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 <laughs> day. Fine. Airline, I got I fly away.